0: Welcome to my son's bedroom, where I'm recording the beginning of this because life is both tough and beautiful. And one of the very minor aspects of tough is that my house is a little bit noisy. It's right next to an A road, so I've gone to the back of the house. And this is a small illustration of the way that we try and keep it real, uh, although it is quite a small way. Anyway, this is the tough, beautiful podcast from from And we, I try to talk about how life is. Oh, I, I me. Um, I'm Nick Hussey, I'm the founder of Fram, and I do the designing of the jackets and all that sort of malarkey. Um, I am a bit random, and I haven't done this very professionally, but I think that's part of the charm of the podcast, is we try and do it in a real way and not make it super slick, because life isn't slick, that is the point. Sometimes it's way beyond not slick, sometimes it's really shit, and sometimes you can have a breakdown and be depressed. Sometimes it can be really great. I mean, we want to talk about both sides. We want it to be entertaining. And this podcast definitely is. It's with David Flatten. If you're into rugby, you will know exactly who that is. He used to play for England. And now he is like the main commentator on BT Sport or whoever covers the rugby. I don't know anything about rugby. Um, I kind of know who Will Carling is and stuff like that. And I sort of knew who David Flatman was. But what I liked about him is his sense of humour, his honesty about real life. He just seems like a guy... He really knows his place in the world and himself, and he's a very entertaining, interesting chap. It's a long old chat. I would say that anyone would be interested in this, whether you're into rugby or not. There's a lot here about looking after yourself, silly stuff, um, having a good divorce, which sadly is quite relevant to a lot of us. Um, and uh, I just think it's a great laugh, uh, and uh, and you'll be really into it. So. Do that. Bye. Hello and welcome to the From Tough Beautiful Podcast. Um, I have in front of me a guy called Flats. He's called David Flatman, but nobody calls him David.
1: Dave, do they? Hardly anyone, no, no. No, I've got one friend who calls me David, who's very formal. And my family tend, I think, to call me Dave. Um, maybe they call me David sometimes, but that's that's about it. I've been flats since a young age. My ex-wife called me flats. My fiance calls me flats. My kids call me daddy. So soon enough, that'll be flats.
0: Thank you very much, Susan. <laughs> um, so um, this podcast is all about the tough and the beautiful. So you are actually quite tough because you're a big rugby player, and and <laughs> you're extremely beautiful. Um, so, uh, but. But it is about the fact that we're all a bit crap and a bit great uh, in many ways, and that life is crap and great in many ways as well, that we all go through shit, we all go through the tough stuff, um, and we can be tough within it, we can also be weak within it, and that's okay, Um, and that life has ups and downs. And particularly, I'm not always gonna podcast with people who are well known, like you, but what I'm very interested in is also getting across that everyone, including famous people, go through shit. I know you're bristling with the term famous because you're- not I'm not having that, play. no, I'm not having that. <laughs> well known, it's <laughs> well known
1: okay? Uh, in the rugby community, yeah. sure, sure, yeah. Yeah, um, but yeah I, I sort of, I think that there, I think there are people who cruise through life just as they my former job as a professional rugby player, there are, there were lads that cruised in on talent and genetics alone and cruised through, had great careers and cruised out But there's hardly any. There are so few
0: that I can't quite remember one. Maybe there was one. Um, You see, this is my inexperience with podcasts. Oh, right. As I didn't record the other recording, but I did record the first one. They say (laughs) when
1: when it comes to recording podcasts, two is one, one is none. Apparently, you need to have two things recording at the same time. So I've got all this shiny equipment in front of me. Can't use it. All the gear, yeah. But (laughs) but I think that, and and just there are people who cruise through life without much that finding very much difficult at all. But I think there probably are so few of those that right. you could walk through London every day for a week and not walk past one. I think that everybody mm. has their stuff. And, you know, I think I think it's okay to have stuff, but there's this weird thing where if you hurt your body, if your body's suffering, it's absolutely normal to tell everyone, let everyone know and not conceal it. But if your mind is struggling and you're struggling to be happy or, yeah things are difficult psychologically or behaviourally, whatever. Um, it's this weird thing that we conceal it. And I think that we, and I say we, I mean people, but really I mean men, I think are in significantly better than we were a generation ago at being okay with telling people that everything's not perfect. But I think we've got a way to go,
0: actually. Yeah. I mean, you're, if you don't mind me, exclaiming to the world you're, what, 42? yeah. I'm 48, and I think just that difference of 60 years, there's so much progress. So, actually, I think I feel like the progress sort of started happening, I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago, and I can't remember what, but people started saying, I can remember, um, is it Cipriano, Dennis? Dennis Cipriani. Yeah. 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 So, I don't know anything about rugby. Uh, and, but he's, a, he's a very good one. He's a very good rugby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I know he plays a Bath. I was interested because I seem to remember that a few years ago he did a sort of video where he talked about his breakdown or something that happened. It, I think it was him. It's certainly a rugby player. And I can remember being quite shocked by that. Not by the content, but the fact that it was happening. And, and now it's very normal to the point, unfortunately, where people go, oh, it's trendy, it's trendy to talk about mental health. It's not trendy. It's become a trend in that, thankfully, because so, my, so many of us go through shit and so many us have problems that we're just starting to talk about it a lot so it's suddenly especially to people from older generations who may be less comfortable with it suddenly going shit it's just suddenly appeared and it's not appeared because it's cool it's definitely not cool feeling fucking awful but it's thankfully just starting to become a part of the conversation but people still are absolutely amazed and give me a lot of unwarranted praise about <coughs> talking openly about my mental health struggles because I just now found it completely normal to say that. Um, because once you say enough, it just becomes part of everyday life, I
1: guess. Yeah, and I, you know, as a, how long ago? 12, uh, I don't know, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, something, my old teammate Duncan Bell. So if you're not a sports fan, you wouldn't know who he was. And even if you are, you probably wouldn't because he was rubbish. Um, he wasn't great. But. <laughs> Um, big old uh, Duncan Donuts he was uh, a yeah, big player for Bath when I played he played for England and a very big man which does seem to make a difference because you're meant to be tougher or something yeah. and um, a couple, he confided in a couple of us his closer mates at the club that he'd been struggling with depression he was on medication and that sort of thing um, and he said I've done an interview with The Telegraph and it's going to come out I think it's really important because it mm. might help people and this is before it was sort of de rigueur to come out as it were and tell people mm. and uh, and he said, I want to tell the lads. So I arranged the meeting room into sort of a semi-circle. And he said, I just want to speak to the boys. And he stood up for about five minutes. You're going to think, you won't think it's inappropriate. You'll think it's great. He stood up. No one had a clue that mm. Dunk was struggling, right, except two of us. So he stood up and he was emotional. And he said, I've just wanted to talk to you guys. I've been really struggling the last, whatever it was. I can't remember the last year or two years. It took a couple of years. And he stood up and he only sat for a couple of minutes. And he said, just, you know, I wanted to get it off my chest. And if anyone else is struggling too, and... But he never said what he was struggling with, right? <laughs> so he sat down and one of the boys, one of the boys, because he's a big bloke, right. one of the boys said. Because he was nervous, probably, in he his He whispered, he whispered over, remember one of the lads, I won't name him because I haven't asked him, I didn't know we were mm-hmm. going to mention it, he probably wouldn't care, leant over and said, Is he gay or pregnant? <laughs> I said, No, oh, it's depression. He goes, Oh, yes, sorry, it's depression. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right, yeah. So all day, as soon as he walked out of the meeting, the right. lads are tripping him up and say, Cheer up, mate, smile. And every time he dropped the ball, it was all quite cry- little, you know, crying signs, but it was. All love and right. inclusion, and he knew
0: that. Oh, they knew that, and right. he was, and they adored him, and still, you know, and still do. Because that's the thing about the rugby. So I, I would never, I've never been into rugby, probably because I could never play rugby, and so I, I'm interested in the things I could do. So I, I'm into cycling and whatever, and and so I can remember playing one rugby match match at school. I went to a state school I was obsessed by football, and one day it's like, hey, you could try some rugby, and I just nearly broke, and mm-hmm. I was really tiny as a kid. And I'm sort of averagey small now. And what but what my impression of rugby was at that time was it was a very, very manly. I know that's I'm doing it with you know speech marks because you know how you define manly is a whole different complicated thing, but it was very, very blokey, quite scary in terms of the culture, and very, very sort of um geezer-ish pouring temperature overhead like parts and and beating people up in the pub on Friday night. Yeah, That's my view of it. And you so, didn't like that. <laughs> <laughs> I've just come from a fight, actually. I had a quick fight in the day before I came here. <laughs> um, I think you said to me when we met at From's office that you, or was it, was it I can't remember, the things I read and the things that I, it's, it's all always said. It blends, it's, in, blends yeah. in. So I, I I'll tell anyone who will listen and you're trapped in a room anyways, you have to. It's recently I was diagnosed with ADHD and, and so what I have is just it's multiple different strands of thought just lurching yeah, yeah. into each other yeah. and, um, and so uh, anyway, it's like I seem to have read or heard that you one of the reasons you left Kent where you grew up is Mainston. Yeah, uh, was because people just assumed you were bloke to have a fight with, even when you were younger. Yeah, I, I, I,
1: left, I left to play professional rugby as the truth. but I, right. I mean I, went, I went, spent a couple of years going out on the lash in my hometown as a you know, teenager with my mates and stuff. And in the end, I mean, I was, I mean, I'd have been 17. and I would have stopped going out in my hometown because it right. was so rough. And for me, it was, I, you know, if I nearly, you know, got into a few scrapes here or there. Um, and it wasn't that I, I firstly don't like violence. I don't like it. I, You know, I'm at the point now where I've stopped watching big boxing matches. I kind of have a look and I might watch the highlights, but I've stopped paying 20 quid to watch them. Right. I imagine if Fury thought Joshua I'd pay and watch. Mm -hmm. But I like violence. I didn't like violence then. Um I partook in a bit here or there as a rugby player, because you kind of do on the field and that's that feels different because it's controlled, Mm -hmm. in inverted commas and allowed. Um but I didn't I also didn't want to get badly injured or arrested so that my career potential career would go down the pan. But I remember nearly Getting into a fight once and properly legging it because I was mm. just on the cusp of signing a pro contract. Yeah. And I remember my dad saying to me, mate, you, all you've got to do is just stay clean. Mm. Not like mm. drugs terms, but so behaviourally. Did, did you feel a
0: sting to your pride doing that? Yeah, I did. I did, absolutely. But that's hard, hard. when, you, if you've had a drink, the pride sometimes can away. Yeah, it on can, but
1: sake. it definitely can. Um, but I, I think the whole. So it's not like I had a yeah you know, I had a beautiful upbringing and my parents were you know looking back we were middle class and adored and very lucky and you know um, but I lived in a you know a nice house in a reasonably rough a normal a normal English yeah. town actually not that bad but it was it was rough in parts yeah. and um, we had a few scrapes but I, I the whole macho side of rugby I mean it's another whole thing one day I'm, if I ever write a book isn't about rugby I'll write a book on sort of I I keep thinking I'll write a book on my sort of journey through masculinity in a sense because I think the definitions have changed so much since I was a kid and um not that anyone find it that interesting but I but the macho side of rugby even when I turned pro there was a bit of that late 90s early noughties there was a bit of that about it was half and half, but that was way more the amateur game. So I, I'd, I'd been pro for a couple of seasons, and you know, playing. You know, we were kind of, we were all sort of, you know, rugby parlance. We we're big units. We didn't mind going to a night. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it was sort of tight T-shirts in nightclubs, but we weren't hurting anybody. You're in, a you know. But I went up to visit some mates at uni and their rugby teams, and that was. Puke in a glass, pour it on your head, neck it, neck this, get yeah right, get get his cock out, and I was yeah, just yeah. like, oh my god, and and it's like bloody rugby bands, and I was like, that is not what it's like in the pro league. It just right. isn't like that. that. That's a stereotype
0: I think sort of seeped into my view of rugby, and I think it's just interesting as well because I just think there's this assumption that. So I come to the other end of the scale. So so I was always really small, I was like 62 <coughs> kilos when I was, what's uh, that, nine and a half stone or something, I mean, Not when a lot. I was racing yeah, bikes, yeah. and bike racing is, you're wearing lycra, you shave your legs, you know, there's a lot of effeminate, again, i have got to remember I'm recording, using speech marks, stuff, but also it was a very, very hard sport, you needed, you had to resist pain, and you had to be very, very determined, and I was very proud of that stuff, but I also was very flamboyant. I've always been flamboyant since I was a kid. I used to wear like Mickey Mouse trousers to school and get sent home, and when I was mm-hmm. six and all that kind of stuff. And I've realised now that's become sort of a thing with clothing. And then when I left uni and I did sports science uni, so I was really, really into sport, and I hated that degree because the culture was so geezerish. Like I went, I used to. The other sport I loved was basketball, and to my amazement, I was really good at it. And I went to join the basketball team. Uh, and there were a lot of sports science guys there, and it was basically an in- initiation. It was basically, if you don't drink 15 pints, you're out. And I was like, I'm a cyclist. I can't drink two pints, mm. you know? And so yeah. I just walked off and thought, sorry, I'm not playing basketball, and I thought it's a terrible shame. Anyway, so I then went to Mas- Manchester, and I was working in clubbing, and I worked in gay clubs or mixed gay clubs. And the presumption was always, whether I was talking to a gay or straight person, that I was almost everyone assumed I was gay. Probably why I never got off with well, are you not, is <laughs> <laughs> because I was so flamboyant because I had tiger print hair and I wore mad clothes and there was just these strict rules. Straight blokes don't aren't flamboyant. Straight blokes don't work in gay clubs. You have to be a gay if you work there. We've got our ghettos. We've got our areas. Rugby players are hard and scary and they're nasty and they beat people up. And people who work in clubbing are soft and if you went, you know, la la And so what's really nice now is I feel that a lot of the, like we work with Calm, Campaign Against Living Miserably, and we have various, there, there are various sort of talking heads and I feel you're one of them not necessarily Calm just because you're talking about blokes being lots of different facets. But a lot of those blokes are the really hard blokes or hard-looking blokes like rugby players. And at the other end of the scale, the really softer ones like me, soft in inverted commas again, are suddenly more accepted. So now I'm allowed to be a metrosexual sort of soft, fluffy, sort of flamboyant, and actually also straight sort of bloke. And it's, you know, those those sort of lines are softening, which makes it a lot easier. Whereas before, you know, when I lived in quite a rough area of South London with my wife, I would shave my head and wear a big puffer jacket just to fit in so I didn't get beaten up. Well, you, that's what
1: I do, but that's just how I look. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to be warm
0: and, I've got, and I'm have got. bald. What happens uh, if you don't shave?
1: Um, well, it's funny that my one of my mates, um, we, we mustn't body shave these days, but one of my... Um, but, but, mates, uh, <laughs> Tom Shacklin, ex-Welsh rugby player, um, very inappropriate guy, but a very funny man. If ever he sees a picture of me anywhere, social media anywhere, and my hair's grown out even a tiny bit around the sides and back, he will send me the picture and just say, Willie Thorne, as in a snooker player. And he's like, you get out of shade, boy. <laughs> You're telling me yesterday, saw a picture of you, boy. We had a baby some, seven, nearly eight, seven months ago. And um, he's like, I sent him a picture of me with the little baby on just after she was born. And he just said, "Such a shame you didn't shave your head, boy. You know you look like Willie Thorne. These pictures to last forever. You look like Terry Nutkins. You know, so it's kind of Terry Nutkins is the reference there. Yeah, that I, and, it's, I best, and yeah. it's three millimeters long at this point. Uh, so <laughs> it, it's it's not good. Um, but when did I, you when did you start going bald? Oh, I was. I don't know. Do you know? It's the funniest thing. Someone called me bald. Uh, I think I was like mid late twenty, mid 20s do Don't know. Okay. And I'd always shave my head, and I didn't right. shave it to look tough. I shaved it because. I was in and out of showers. I grew it out of now and again, but I never really cared that much. Yeah, in and out of showers. It's basically what I used
0: to. Do. I used to shave my head most of the time. Yeah, and
1: it's actually really convenient because I get a set of clippers for ten quid, and that's that's me. Then I'm not going to barbers then. And um, so that was kind of it. And then someone said to me, "Oh, you're bald," and I said, "Hey, bald through choice." And they went, "Yeah, right." And it was so weird. I looked in a mirror, mm. and I hadn't noticed that I'd actually started going bald, right. as opposed to just shaving a full head of hair. And I didn't. And I feel very lucky to say that I didn't give a monkey's for a millisecond, and I still don't care. Right, I was going to ask that. I don't care. Some men get care. really upset about it. I know they do, and, and I've got you know I've got lots and lots of this. You know, here's here's a thing for you. I've got lots and lots of big, rough. When you say tough, anyone who plays pro rugby, especially in certain positions, Will be for a long time, tough. Yeah. is tough physically. Yeah, yeah. So, if by you, definition, if you have a hard physical. Um, Whatever it is, uh, challenge. There is a good chance they will outlast ninety-nine percent of the population, or ninety percent of the population, because they are mentally tough when it comes to physical challenges. Cool. Right? So, you know, I got on a push a road bike first time in my life and did John O'Groats to Land's End. It was nine hundred and ninety-eight miles in nine days. Mm. And I did every mile having not ridden a road bike before, except once couldn't use the pedals Christ. and 125 kilos. And they were like, you're going to die. I said, no, no, I won't quit. I'll be very slow, yeah. but I will not get off the yeah. bike. And that that just means that sport, I'm tough. That's yeah. that's one, that's, a, that's an hour a week, you know, when yeah. you're playing rugby, hour and a half a week. But I know lots of lads and I know one guy having on it done now, who was literally known for being a hard man in the game. Mm. Literally that was what his thing was. Mm. And they're all getting not all loads of these lads are getting their hair plugs done. They're having the weave done. They're having because they're going bored and they mm. hate it. And I know lots of lads that we joke about having their teeth whitened. I know lots of lads who've had their you know it's teeth whitening. Mm. It's getting your little getting your teeth evened up. It's maybe even the little braces that no one sees you wearing. And it's all these little things that mm. rugby players would never have done. I would 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 have been far less likely you to
0: could do. You're going to see each other naked in the shower. Twenty five years, years ago, piss out of each other really badly. You've, because what yes. I was thinking was when I, you've just been to the gym and I go to a really sedate gym above public school because it's cheap and cheerful Yeah, and uh, in Moncton Coombe and um, it, it, I don't see like, you know, the what, what I used to see at Bath Uni where I, I used to go to the gym which is 19 year old, really, really built, beautiful lads who are completely pristine and don't have a hair on their bodies. And what used to really freak me out in the change rooms is they didn't have a single hair on their asses or their balls. Yeah. <laughs> and I and, and it really makes me so I'm really open minded liberal minded I just I just going. all these men have got no hair and their genitals and I yeah. can't get used to it do, um, I need, do I need to get rid of mine but I yeah. they,
1: there's a thing right so I've got a I've got mates that work in the alcohol in the, in the booze trade right and there is a real thing they say in that basically lads let's call them 17 to 25 yeah they buy fewer pints they don't mm, they mm. don't because they don't spend as much money on booze because they can't they don't want the calories. Yeah. Right. They need to look right and look tight. Social media has done that. Yeah. Because flick on Instagram, if I hit search on Instagram, I will see shredded men and women on the first page of searches, yeah. even though that's not what I search for. Yeah. So it's fed to you. And that probably I've got no I've got nothing to back this up, but I expect they're more likely to be mm. doing a bit of coke than they are drinking five pints of lager. Right. And it's up to you what you think's worse. I've got yeah, I've got young yeah. daughters. Well, I'd rather in five years <laughs> they're having a few glasses of wine than they were having a few lines. I don't know why I want them to. I don't know medically uh, what's oh, worse I, think, but I, I think bit wise. Wise. I'll do think they do. My choice. I think I'm on the right track. Yeah. But I think all, all of these things that were deemed um, soft or effeminate or whatever, I think actually now I think it's gone it's so accepted that mm. people who are big and strong and play a rough sport can do these things formally regarded as effeminate or feminine, whatever, it's so accepted that I actually think that, and this is probably a diversion we don't want to go down, but especially with younger daughters as well, I I think we're potentially in a period of slight overcompensation when it comes to acceptability, which I think is fine. But I've noticed my daughters, um, 12 and 10, but my 12-year-old, I've noticed her, in inverted commas, having things with her mental health and having body image issues. Really. Now some of them are real. Mm. Some of them are real for three minutes, then she's forgotten about it and it's having a cake. Mm. Right. So but she's working into it potentially. It, it's it's because some of her contemporaries have had one or two issues and they're real. Mm. And for some reason it's they are fed and you know my girlfriend and I call it sorry fiance. Fiance with mm-hmm. the triple E. We, she calls it uh, catastrophe porn. So when they're on little social media things, yeah, it's like, yeah. you know, this guy, um, his parents died in a car crash, and then his brother and sister died, and he was given a foster family, and they died too, and then that's a great. Fell off. And you're like, this is yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Firstly, this is a made up story. Secondly, why is it that you're so you know mm. you're, ha- why are you so do you find this disaster stuff so appealing? Mm. But she, for example, my twelve year old girl is, I mean. Life is easier if you're beautiful. It kind of I would always imagine she happens to be beautiful and she's gorgeous and lovely and whatever and physically doesn't have any issues. She's perfect. But she told we got a call from the school last year saying she's told us she's anorexic. Wow. I'm like right okay. So I'm I'm from a family of psychologists. Right, my dad's child psychologist. So is my sister child psychologist. So mm. I'm you know I don't dismiss these things. And I just said yeah she's not. And they said yeah we know she's not we had a quick look at her at lunch and she had seconds and it's not, <laughs> and it's certainly not, you know, I'm not trivializing it, but it's not bulimia. So do you think she almost wanted to be? Yes. Right. Because it, attention, it was cool. And when you, when you say things like having mental health issues is cool, you get a red dot on your head and you go, I'm telling you it's an issue with, I'm telling you, you know that it yeah. is an issue. It doesn't mean that the people who yeah. have legitimate mental health issues aren't legitimate. I struggled myself a few times in my life. I'm sure we'll talk about that. My girl's, have things about their bodies they don't like, and just like young boys do, it's no different. We all do. Yeah. We all do. But that she once or twice has gone down the road of, mm. yeah, I think I really struggle with this, and mm. I struggle with anxiety. It's like you just slept for nine hours and you've been completely chilled, uh, and what are
0: you anxious about? But and and maybe she doesn't know, have, have, doesn't have the context yet. So I, it took me quite a long time to work out what anxiety meant and felt like, and re- mainly it took professionals to identify. And I realised I'd suffered from anxiety for a an lot of my life but I never thought I was anxious until the mm-hmm. point at which it was identified. And it's, some people would say, now you put a, you put a label on it, now you're worried about it. I'm like, no, now I've got a label on it. Now I know what it is, it Helps doesn't that. trouble me as much. Yeah. So I just go, oh, I was anxious about meeting you because it's the first podcast I've done for two and a half years. And I wasn't nervous, because nervous is normal. I was anxious oh fuck it up and i will not record it and all that kind of stuff and all i did which was that, did happen a little bit at the <laughs> <start>. <laughs> no, but the point is i know that i can ride that out and that i know that with from what i'm trying to do is show the imperfection anyway and all i did was i just returned to what my sort of you know my pillars are and one of them is you can show the imperfection and it's all right to fuck up and it doesn't matter. and flat's a nice bloke and it's fine and i literally told myself those things and then i just felt fine and then I, well, i've gone and done it and here we are it's fine you know, but I also feel that we all feel anxious about really, really fucking horrible stuff because you're not that horrible. And, you know, that's different. But it's really interesting you talking about your daughter because that this stuff terrifies me and Emily, my wife. And our son is, our daughter's six, hopefully not an issue. My son's nine. He's very mature, nine. And he he talks about being fat. He's not. He's a mus- muscular muscly, muscly, tall, you know, we obviously think it's beautiful because we're biased, but you know, he's very sporty, muscly, good at all that stuff. And he thinks he's fat, and I he, mate or not, he just ate too much. Yeah. And uh, he starts showing me his muscles. And I'm like, I think it's great showing me his muscles. He cares about his body, about being fit, but I'm like don't fucking go down that route, yeah. that Instagram route. Yeah. So it and that, you know, brings up all kinds of questions. The thing we really what neither me nor Emily or worriers, but if we use the word worry, we worry about porn. So porn is nasty these yeah. days. I'm sure it was lovely in the 70s or whatever, but yeah. now it's greasy, brightly lit, quite rapey, you know, it's it's nasty. And you know, we hear all the time about friends with teenage kids saying to the parents or not saying to the parents, why is that bloke doing that fucking horrible thing to that woman and all that kind of stuff. And how come he's always <laughs> in charge of, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I, we really just think, Jesus, our kids can't learn about sex from porn because it's not what sex should be or is like. It's not how you keep a person and fall in love with the person because that stuff's fucking rank. Mm. Um, and you know, I luckily grew up with my mum and she was extremely open about talking about sex and about bodies and she's a biologist and just explaining everything so matter-of-factly that as I was growing up, quite small, I, it never, ever bothered me. You know, I, I've never been embarrassed by sex. Emily was a bit more repressed because her mum didn't talk about sex and it was a bit under the sort of covers and all that kind of stuff. But I want to, I, I told the kids about what happens in sex when they were, you know, as soon as I remembered to do it. And they, they just said, oh, like the films on telly and you know with the natural history and yeah. all that kind of stuff but now it's getting complex you know when's my son going to hit puberty when's he going to start fancying girls or I assume girls maybe boys whatever but you know and and then talking about the complexities of sex and having sex and what's appropriate and why you shouldn't fucking force a girl to do anything and all that stuff it's like, that's incredibly important to me is make sure that he's a good bloke like he's a decent kind person I think he will be and he is but you just don't want that thing like when lads get together sometimes, especially at that age when yeah. you have just got so, I can remember when I was 14, like the testosterone, I, I couldn't think yeah. for the testosterone. All I wanted to do was sleep with girls, like it was mad. Mm. So I wonder well, if it's like you wasn't gay, so all I thought about was yeah, girls yeah. all the time. Yeah. Like, everyone at school said, oh, you're gay because you like gay things. Because gay things are. It's like when Graham Lasseau, the footballer, got
1: called gay because he used to read the papers. The Guardian. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it must be gay. The gay must be gay. Those gay liberals. But I think it's hugely complicated. And I I'm I my my parents agree that it is more complicated for us than it was for them. And it's not all social media, but it's media, it's what they see. Um, it's what's thrown at them. And you know, we've had I, I talk about my daughters, you know, saying Anxious about this, and I said, it, "I said if there's certain things that make you anxious and make you worry, mm-hmm. let's talk about them. No problems. Talk about anything you like. we my ex-wife and I are super open with our kids. We tell them not we don't you know we're not showing them our bank statements, but we tell them everything. We they know everything,
0: so we just don't hide anything. Are from you honest with them about stuff, nasty stuff in the news and things like that. Yeah. So in, I mean,
1: interestingly, my you know when, when I when I talk to my 12 year old about, it, and I said, if certain things make you anxious or worried, that's but as a rule, are you feeling like this all the time? And she's like, no, I haven't worried about anything for weeks. And she's chilled the whole time. And then there might be something coming on the horizon that makes yeah. her anxious. So I said, that, that's, that, I, I don't know, but speaking of my parents' stuff, it, it, my dad, it's kind of like, well, that is that sort of episodal anxiety, which is completely normal because everyone has and kind of needs things that make them a bit nervous and anxious every now and again. Yeah, yeah. you need that stimulation. All yeah. that and all yeah. that survival. But actually, if someone is terrified of the weather... All day, every day. That's very different. Um, yeah. But you know, my the the, the situation in Ukraine um, has affected my ten year old quite a lot, and she's very, very bright. And um, I, I don't know academically. I think mean, she's perfectly bright academically, but mm. she's incredibly perceptive to the point where I often look at my fiance open mouth at the stuff she says, and mm. she is just so perceptive. It yeah. mm. sometimes I think I'm going to nick that and say it myself because. Mm. You know, so we talked about in our house, we've got a little basement flat you can access off the street. And why don't we um, offer to put a Ukrainian family in there and all that? And that has terrified my daughter really, because she thinks that the more people that accept Ukrainian families, she's a gorgeous hearted little kid. She's 10, mm-hmm. all 10 year olds are. Um, she is worried that the more Ukrainians we accept into the UK, the more likely Vladimir Putin is to want Come to target get the UK. Right. Come and get them. Wow. So defectors. Right. So she said the word defectors. I said, Where have you got that word from? I saw it in the news, saw this, heard yeah. it on something. So she is very worried about that. So it it's it's not up to anyone else what makes anyone else nervous or anxious. Yeah, that's really hard when
0: you're a kid. I all this really you suddenly, it's one of the horrible things about one of the beautiful things about being a parent is you get really infected by the innocence of children and you remember what it's like to have fun and to play, I think and to just, just see things with wide eyes again. That's something I found when I had my breakdown, I was really depressed. I was looking after my kids, I was house husband for about a year and a half. And I saw the world through uh, a one of four year olds eyes. And it was just so joyous because even though they're pretty tricky and they shit themselves and all this kind of stuff, that basically doesn't matter. You think it matters before you have kids and it doesn't matter. But, but what was amazing was that they, they just loved the world. They were fascinated yeah. by the world. And I re- that really, really helped me recover because I just thought, the world is beautiful. Well, aren't I lucky that I managed to recover? But um, sometimes, in fact, I know that when you're in a really bad way, you just don't feel like that's possible. And that's really dangerous. That's how you can become suicidal. Um, you may be suicidal now. You may just feel really shit. You may be depressed. Uh, You may be not sure. And the key to all of this is to go and get help. You can go and get help by talking to someone. You can talk to anyone. You can talk to a mate. You can talk to family. You can talk to a stranger. I prefer to talk to a stranger uh, to get me on the road to recovery. Saying it is incredibly important. You can go to the Calm website, Campaign Against Living Miserably. You can go to Samaritans. You can go to Mind. The main thing is to say it. There is no shame. You might feel shame. I felt shame it's silly you shouldn't need to and once you've done it you won't everything feels better once you started saying stuff um you can go and get professional help you can say it to a doctor you can go get medication i was scared of medication but i had medication and it may be much much better please do something and even if you think you're worthless you are not just one foot in front of the other and if you're going to put one foot in front say it out loud if you'd like any more information on how to help yourself or someone else with their mental health, you can go to CALM, or you can go to our website where we have a dedicated mental health page with various information, which is fairly accessible and interesting. Well, that's one, one of the reasons from, it's called, it has beautiful as a tagline because you just see the little things that you forget about as an adult, and you go, shit, the leaves are coming out on the trees. That is amazing, you know, and and it's those little free things that you can cling on to that can really help you sort of climb back up to a sort of, you know, decent state of, um, of being and, and we're always really good at centering when, you know, I think I found living in London really bad for me um, and I think one of the reasons is, is quite often you're just thinking about the really big, ambitious stuff that you may or may not ever reach and not, I find I have more time and I walk the dog in the countryside and all this stuff now and I think a lot more. And also, having had a breakdown, I, I forced myself to think that way as well because I think a lot more about the small things right in front of my nose, my mm-hmm. kids, my family, my wife, you know, the trees and the mm-hmm. birds, you know, um, which was leading, so sort of question is, do you find that, so a lot of discussion at the moment is about the way that professional sport can really affect... So, obviously, being a cyclist, I'm very interested in Bradley Wigglin. Wiggins. Big fan of him. I think he's a fascinating person. He started talking a lot about the fact that professional sport can really fuck you up. Um, do you think it fucked you up and have seen it fuck other people up? And did you get any support when you were a player? Ah,
1: uh, can it fuck you up? Uh, yeah. It's like working in a bank. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't so mean it that it's bad.
0: Up. I just think in certain ways, was it bad for you? Um...
1: I think not. In I, I think yes, uh, but I think it probably wasn't its fault um, right. actually. So I think, in short, I think that unless you're earning, unless you're earning much more money than we earned, mm-hmm. we all earned decent money. They earn more now, ten years later, and in ten years they'll probably earn, actually weirdly the salaries have all just been unilaterally re- unilaterally reduced in English Rugby Union. Yeah. So okay. the amount you can pay players has been significantly reduced because all the institutions, the clubs, are losing millions of pounds and eventually it'll go pop. Right. So it's an right. Right unsustainable business model. It's completely yeah, unsustainable. Right. Whereas, you know, it's like football divided by 10, but it's still unsustainable. So sure. there's, it, you know, if you, if you were... If, it's like, you know, when I was 25 and my mates had got their 23, 24, and they got their first jobs out of uni and, mm. you know, and... They're on, I don't know, eighteen grand a year, and they're in London living in a shit flat in whatever it is, and I'm on one hundred and fifty grand, and I've got mm. a Porsche. Mm. Um, it, in a sense, that's great, but in the another sense, is you thirty two, I retired, mm-hmm. so you've only ever done that, and you don't you don't muck about with I'm going to go and work in a bank and learn a trade or do this or not and be a pro rugby player. You are in it, so you don't do anything else, right? Yeah. And there, there's the odd afternoon off, and if you're incredibly driven and don't have children you can do things like a degree as you go along and more and more guys do it but when I played it, the training wasn't so scientific the first sort of half mm-hmm. of my career it was you're in all day and you're getting flogged right. and in the end it was like that doesn't really work because everyone's getting injured so you're actually going to have your afternoons off mainly and then you can be more constructive mm-hmm. but I think what it does is gets you used to a certain lifestyle not that we were crazy and flash but I retired at 32 with a lovely big house um, a nice car a flash watch, a little second hike, a couple of investment properties, and all that sort of stuff. Used to nice holidays, not a millionaire's lifestyle yeah. by any means, but a lovely Well, home. off, but not rich. And yeah, definitely. And lucky and all that. I earned it, but luck still fortunate and couldn't do anything else at all with any confidence because, mm. with any authority, because the thing I was an authority on had stopped at 32. So if I've been. The a, retiring bit is the thing you quite often hear is the big Yeah, it, it's incredibly tough. So you. you it, no, it's not tough for everybody. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just saw my mate in a coffee shop before I came here, grabbed a quick coffee, and we played together for years at Bath, and he's gone straight from professional rugby into learning to be a builder and ultimately a project manager mm-hmm. for a big building firm, okay. and he absolutely loves it. He's Great. really happy, and that's probably quite rare. Right. And I'm one of the guys who had a soft landing. I walked. I went straight from the field to the offices and was given a job and was well paid, and all that sort of stuff.
0: When did you start commentating? When I was still playing. Oh, okay. I was very
1: motivated to do other things when I was playing and to make sure I had options when I retired. Were you thinking about that way ahead? Yeah, I was. Uh, I was. I was also trying to give myself options. And um, in the end, I'm glad, really glad I did. But I still found it really, really hard. Because, uh, you know, rugby, you don't want your job to define you. But when you are a professional rugby player... and it has to. And in, and in a cer- to a certain level, I know bloody David Beckham, but you're in the public eye. When you live in Bath, everyone knows who you are when you play for Bath. Everyone. It's a small yeah. place. And if you're winning, it's the best place in the world to play rugby. If you're losing, it's one of the worst. So... Do people give you shit in the street then? No, uh, but people, they don't give you shit. And now and again they did, but not really, because it's Please. Bath. <laughs> 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 everyone's, everyone's in chinos and boat shoes, right? Yeah. <laughs> everyone's wearing 400 quid glasses. But if you also... Most people, if you're not in, after you're not five pints deep. Most people ain't gonna give me shit because I'm twenty stone with a cauliflower ear, and I'm not the sort of bloke to give shit to. Not that I'm aggressive, but sure, most people wouldn't do that. It's a logical not. choice not to. You don't, right? So <laughs> yeah, so you, you don't do that. So, and also, I'm again not aggressive. But if anyone is ever rude, even though people might walk off and go on Twitter and say somebody was rude to me on Sunday, mm. and they weren't rude, rude. So your face on Twitter? To me, but they weren't rude about okay. me. Okay. They were rude. They wanted a picture. Mm. They wanted a photo after a guy on a the game. They wanted a photo. Mm. And this is going on a tangent. And lots of people want photos. I, I, was, I was at Saracens. I played at Saracens for five years before I moved to Bath. Lots of people know me because I'm on TV. Everyone's lovely. Like, you get stopped all the time in Bath, all the time when you're at rugby grounds. Everyone is lovely. And People say, does it annoy you? No, people are just being nice. It doesn't annoy me at all. But this guy's really rude, and I probably had a couple of pints. And he said, "Come over here, come over here, and do a pic. Come over here and do a picture. Come on." And I said, "Oi, there's kids around." I said, "Oi," I said, "Say please. And set an example for the kids as a joke, and it's just a joke. I was right. going to do the picture anyway. has not got to say please?" I mean, he's <laughs> a couple of pints. He goes, "Oh, who's big? Who is big? Fucking Billy fucking big balls." And I said, "Well, hey, hey, hey. there's kids here. Twenty kids or ten kids? There's right. kids here." He goes, "Oh, you yeah, yeah. do the photo. Well, don't do the fucking photo." I said, I won't do the photo then, mate. See you later." over. he said, prick, over the top. And I turned around and I said, mate, your behaviour in front of these kids. He said, two of these kids are mine. I said, well, poor them. Your behaviour in front of your kids is bad. And I said, I tell you what, if there were no kids here, you'd be struggling, mate. I'd have done your dentist a favour by now because it really, really fucked me off. And I, not like I've got a switch that flicks, but I was like, If we were on our own in an alleyway, mm. I wouldn't punch him, mm. but there's a good chance he'd be getting choked against the wall for 10 seconds until he said, sorry. I, I've never done that in my life, but I felt like it. Yeah. I felt like I will yeah. wring this guy's neck. He's so rude. Mm. That is very, very rare. And I got into my car and I was like, right, chill out. That, you know, it's, it's for some reason, it annoyed me more than anyone else. Being, I don't know why it annoyed me so much, but it did. But um, I, I, the, the, anyway, the point I think pro sport can, Do you over a bit? Is that it leaves you? It can leave you unless you're really proactive. There is help, but you've really got to wanna. You've really got to wanna be proactive and learn other skills, learn to do other things. It leaves you um, without. You know, you're an authority on what you do until you're in your early thirties or mid thirties if you're lucky, and then you are starting from scratch in your mid thirties with a family with children. I don't know what the divorce rate is. And an income that high. was high
0: that you may or may not be able to maintain. Well, I read I read when I
1: retired that the average pay drop was something like seventy percent. Yeah. So it's, it's always good. it's all very well saying, well yeah. you should be lucky, it's your dream job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I'll do is, when you're thirty five, I'm gonna cut your salary by seventy percent. Mm. And by the way, the thing you're really good at that's earned you all this money, you're never allowed to do that again ever. Not even once. Mm. So that can't be what you do. You've got to do something else. So what happens is the reason you were earning all that money until you were in your mid-30s is because you were so good at that job. Had you given that job a lot less time and thought about doing another job so you could take, you know, that would be a new career, you wouldn't have been as good at the job. You wouldn't have earned as much money in the first job because you'd have been distracted and diluted, right? So... almost everyone in pro sport has to be flat out in it, in it, in it, you know, and... Do do players talk to each other about it? Oh, yeah, I mean, the the worst question you can ask a rugby player is what are you going to do life after rugby? Mm. The second worst player, second worst question is how's the body? Because no one wants to talk about it. It's like,
0: body's shit. Don't know what I'm going to do, you know? And and you constantly... Have you watched the film Jerry Maguire? Uh, Yeah. So I love that film for lots of reasons and uh, it's one of my sort of cuddly feel good films and um, I didn't expect it to be but i just into it and, um, and one of the things is the horror of whether he's going to get injured or so bad that he might die or break his neck or something he's lying on the pitch and you just think shit because American football and rugby obviously have a lot of DNA yeah. shared DNA they collision sports right yeah they, they
1: call them they're, they're evasion sports right. which involve a lot of collision you know the, the 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 best results come from evading tacklers but you can't you, there's But that be thing that you
0: love and that thing that earns you your money yeah. and the your thing you're trying to get as far into as possible to build up the money and get, you know, whatever, it suddenly could just stop. Yep. You know. Oh yeah. And, and I, I'm, 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 unplanned as well, so you haven't expected to retire and then you have no, retired. No, I got
1: I got told at twenty four, you're done. I got told at twenty five, you're done. Wow. I got told at twenty seven, you're done. And what happens to you
0: just float like minded enough?
1: Fear. Ah, right. Fear, nothing else. None of that got myself out of it. Worked worked and worked. That's what I did. Worked unbelievably hard to overcome injuries that they said I wouldn't overcome. Mm. And you get credit for that and you get called brave and driven. That is bullshit. It is right. pure fear of mm. doing anything else because I can't do anything else. Mm. It is pure fear. Am I going to have to move back in with my mum and dad when I was playing for England two years ago?
0: And then people say, oh, you're that bloke who did that thing. You know, what happened there? And you have to explain it yeah. every time. And, and, and it's, it's, yeah, there's, I mean, some people, some lads just, don't get hurt
1: very often at all. And that is luck. It's People used to think it's because they train harder. No, it's not. It's luck. It's genetics and it's luck. Mm. You know, I was in the gym. You know, there were stronger guys than me, but I was strong, really strong. i lift anything, do this. I still can. Mm. And But if you pull my shoulder, you know, if you put 200 kilos on a bench press, I'm 42, I could still lift it. Mm. Uh, give me a week to build up to it, but I could still lift it, right? And there are most lads in the premiership at 32 or 30 can't lift that. So I've got that. That's not showing off. I was born with that. Mm -hmm. However, you pull my shoulders past, you know, when you put your jacket on this morning, your lovely front jacket, you put that on. You put it on like a normal person. I have to put it on over my head because I can't, my arms don't go back. So if you pull them there, which rugby does, Mm. my shoulder joints will explode, hence five reconstructions. So that is luck. That's genetics.
0: Mm. It's not strength. That's not just being smashed up and that's what's done your shoulders. No, it's doing the wrong training. And
1: it's also just not having... Flexible joints. Right. Equally, one of the lads I was speaking to recently has just done his ACL, his cruciate again for the second Sorry, second, we've done both knees now, and he said, I'm hyperflexible. Mm. Doesn't look it because he's a massive bloke, but I'm yeah. hyperflexible, so I am susceptible to these mm. massive mm. ligament ruptures. I wasn't, so my knees are like iron, my neck, back. I never missed a game or a day because of my neck, back or knees, which is mm. just unheard of in my position in the front row. Right. But they're like, they're made of stone. However... I've got the cartilage of a young lamb so, in my
0: shoulders. So it just, it's like, it's like bloody yoghurt. So it just goes. It's um, luck, you know. we're It's a tangent, sorry. No, no, no it's great. Um, I wanted to go back to something you mentioned before. It's really interesting I didn't know about, was that you come from a family of child psychologists. Is that mm-hmm. your mum and dad?
1: No, when I say a family of, my dad is a, I mean, he's 78 in August. He's a seven days a week he works. He's a practising, he's you a do. psychologist, educational psychologist, yeah. but what he... What he has majored in for a long time now is—I um, I could be getting this wrong, so he's no need to tweet in and tell me I'm wrong because um, I might be. It's basically child welfare. So my dad becomes—he assesses family dynamics, he assesses children and their safety within families—and he becomes an expert witness who's cross-examined in court, giving his opinions on things like should this child remain with his family or should that, this that child? That sounds remain. incredibly stressful. Does he yes. get a
0: lot of satisfaction and? From that, because I couldn't, I don't
1: think it's what it's what it does. Like it, you know, you've got you've who you are is who you are. Who my dad is is a, a very bright, incredibly hard working psychologist. Who I, I can't imagine there are many psychologists that do as much work as my dad does in a month. I just right. I, I just don't believe there can't be many. Do you think is he is he
0: quite sparkly for a seventy eight year old? He must yeah. be. He's still working. Yeah, and you um, think it's the work that does that.
1: Yeah, I think he'll never stop. Right. Um, I think he'll never stop. Um, he's, but ultimately what it comes down to is it's his vocation, it's it's his oxygen, and he's helping children. And he knows that helping people, not always children, you know, there are, there are lots of – he never tells us details about anything. Mm. Probably doesn't want to talk about it. But there are lots of times when he, he'll be the only voice saying, this child is not in danger, these people are – they are – this child is having a horrible childhood, but it's not because his, his or her parents are evil. It's because mm. they don't know. So what do we do? Are they, you know, are they whatever it is? And it, it's... It's either sort of voice of logic. Well, he's he has to give very, very strong, direct opinions in incredibly emotive situations on mm. a daily basis. And you've got to be quite brave. And of course, because children are involved, people are very emotive. People mm. can be offended very easily and mm. upset. People can complain and... Because it's 2022 and not 1952, every complaint is taken very seriously indeed. So even if it's erroneous and my dad says that that, you know, someone's accused me of being 10 foot tall and I'm not, it still gives the whole process. So a large part of my dad's life is taken up by dealing with people who have complained about things that he hasn't done. Wow. And he spends a huge amount of time and it's a very anxious time Mm. because one of these complaints is upheld and you're gone. Right. And it's like, well, I've, I've done a thing. We know that. But actually, what you have to do is now, you can't work as much as you want to because you've got to spend all this time defending yourself against this mad geezer who you know, did horrible things to his partner or children or that sort of stuff.
0: Jeez. And it... You Know it's, it's serious gear, you know. Do you um, so you posted on Instagram recently that your brother has downs, yeah? Um, he's always had it. One of my mates said to me, When did he get that? And I said, On Tuesday, got it on Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> Poor fucker, Oops. he was on um, Tuesday. A dodgy uh, pipe. <laughs> do you have downs, you're just born with downs, or whatever? Yeah, um, but so, so how has that affected you and your family? And I suppose, overly long question, but uh, do you think your dad, being who he is, is that made him more equipped to father a kid with Downs?
1: Yeah, he's been a nightmare. We never liked him. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, it's it's a funny, it's like, this is the sort of thing that people might get offended by this sort of thing, but it, no, no, they won't get offended by it. It's, do you know, if you got a three, if you rescued a three-legged dog from the dog show, mm-hmm. you know, that hadn't had a nice start in life, mm-hmm. you'd almost love it more than your other dog because, mm-hmm. you know, my brother doesn't need sympathy. He doesn't want sympathy. He's also uh, his cerebral palsy also um, has additional levels of brain damage. So he's he's aware, you know, of what's going on and all that. Luckily, but he doesn't know that he's different. He doesn't. Act, he wouldn't yeah. understand that he's him being wheelchair bound and he can't speak like we can. That's mm-hmm. he doesn't realize that he's different, which is a, a great benefit actually. Yeah. So. People staring at him all the time and talking about, whispering about him. He's, he would never have noticed that in his do life. Do people still do that? A kid, no, only kids. A kid, okay. A kids kid, right. stare. they're right. not used to it. And, yeah, that's yeah. Right, you know, yeah, that's all right. You that's all right. They don't know. So, cats look at him funny. Uh, but for us, it just never, it it just wasn't an issue. It's just a thing. It's just, it just, oh, the his situation. Great. Do you know, do the, the two things that, the main thing is, when, when he was born um my dad came home and said uh, something along the lines i've always tell this story and i i know i must speak to see if my ask my dad if it's accurate because the me- your human memory is nothing like as good as we all think it is but i we know that but my dad came home and sat i've got two sisters and sat my two sisters and me down and said right mummy's had a baby he's called christian and guess what you know those handicapped kids you know when kids are handicapped you know, um, sometimes they land with families and with families that don't want them and it can, you know, cause they can be quite, take a bit more looking after. And imagine if a, a child, a little baby that needed extra help, didn't have a mummy and daddy and family that wanted to help them. Mm-hmm. Guess what? Lucky us, we've got one. We're like, oh my God, awesome. Mm-hmm. It was literally like with mum was bringing a Ferrari home. We couldn't wait. Oh, we cool. had him in his buggy, showing him off to our mates mm-hmm. and taking him around the neighborhood. Look, you know. And my, you know, remember my, my mate Neil saying, what is it? What is, what's wrong with it? I said, no, it's not it, it's him. Yeah, but it's Handicap. I was like, yeah, I know, that's all right. He's like, oh, right, yeah. nice excuse And that was it. So mm. there was that. So that's how it presented from the start. Yeah. The person it really affected was my mum. Right. Um, and my mum is just, I mean, an unbelievable human being. Like, I just have never, my brother requires 24 hour, he got to be with him 24 hours a day. Right. He's 36, this year in October, my mum has never ever complained. Mm -hmm. It's unbelievably hard. He's a big bloke, he's in a wheelchair, he can't talk like we can, doesn't do as he's told, doesn't really know how, his wiring isn't like ours. Mm -hmm. If my mum goes to the shops and then comes back and has to go to the post office, and then comes back and has to go and pick up my, you know, her grandkid, my sister's daughter from school, My mum has to get him out of the house, which doesn't take 30 seconds like it does for us because he won't move. Yeah, She's got to work him up to getting out of the house, get him dressed. Mm -hmm. He crawls sometimes if he's not in his wheelchair. So his trousers come down and his shoes come off and then get him in his wheelchair, wheel him to the car. My mum is small. She's five foot two or something. Mm -hmm. Get him in the car. Is he built by you? Yeah, he is. Get him in the, get the wheelchair in the boot. Get other end, get the wheelchair out, get him out of the car. That's every time. So there are some days my mum's getting out of the car five, six times a day with my brother. Mm-hmm. She has never complained. She looks amazing. She's immaculate. She's buzzing. She's cooking amazing meals. She's thinking of great stuff to do with him to this day. I mean, it...
0: It's, that mindset it's a, it's seems astonishing. to come off in you as well. That it's something, the impression I got when I first met you not knowing you previously is because well, of course i could know you by i could look you up on the internet and go he's on twitter he's on instagram this is sort of like i think he is i look at up on wikipedia that's not you but then because i i avoid doing that with anyone that i've never met before I, I i because i think it's a dangerous game i did it after after i met you but i just wanted to see what you were like as a person i think that's what we should all do and i think it's really important and what i got from the impression of meeting you is that you're a very self What's the word? Uh, confident in that you just know who you are. You're happy who, with who you are. Yeah. Whatever you, whatever comes at you, you can take on. And not in a sort of this is going to be. you just very matter of fact. You just if that matter of fact is probably the phrase I'd use most. Is you just go, yep, yeah, that's the thing, right? So whereas I think a lot of people we meet in life, and maybe I'm a little bit let's go. Oh, oh God, oh shit! You know, and overthink it. And it's not that you're not a thinking person, but you just take it as it is, and then do it and I think that's a very very important very useful quality because some of us just go oh fuck I'm running away from that. yeah but um, I, I also have things that
1: I have things that I overblow in my mind all the time so it, this is going to oh, I'll think of something trivial and it's deliberately trivial having a kitchen put in right lucky old us and the LEDs in the shelves little LEDs in the shelves it's quite a dark room you need little lights they didn't look great when I saw them and there's not really a solution to it. Mm. So it drives me fucking mad. And I, when I say it drives me mad, I I went out, I popped out in the car, actually took 10 minutes. I took a longer route back, because I was absolutely seething, like seething. It's my mate that's doing the kitchen. You're almost obsessive. No, it's not that. It's just like, my mate's doing the kitchen. He's brilliant at his job. Mm. I'll, rec- I'll recommend him to everybody. As soon as he's done, mm. I'll go on Instagram. It's not a freebie, I'll pay for it. And I will say, he's done the kitchen. Please use him. He is brilliant. I love him. Known him years. Brilliant at his job. This is not his fault. Something in my mind is telling me I've been fucked over. It's fucking LED. Fuck, fuck. And, it, and I'm, and Freya, my girlfriend, is just I keep saying girl, girlfriend, whatever. <laughs> when did you I'm become engaged? Around, oh, last November, but I hate, okay. word, I hate the word fiance. I feel like yep, I'm on it's love <laughs> yeah. So it's like, and she's like, she's like and she, she worries about things more than I do. And she's like, oh God, the LEDs was going to cost so much money. I was like I don't give a shit about the money like I'm, I'm like a billionaire without the money I'm just like don't worry about the money money will take care of itself but right. if it'll either be a number we can afford or it won't don't worry about that but what's annoyed me is that this has gone in and I've spotted it and if I hadn't spotted it no one would have said anything okay. and so it builds up 10 minutes later it's gone things like are you kind of obsessive about detail and about quality? no not really it, it could be but it, you know I'm sure we'll you know divorce is not an interesting subject but I think the behavior around it's interesting but my ex-wife and I get on really really well she was round yesterday and we're all sitting in in the sitting room my kids my girlfriend my baby with my girlfriend my ex-wife the dog everyone's having a great time my ex-wife's holding the baby and giving her cuddles and trying to make her laugh and it's all it's all lovely and it's not fake it's just nice people being nice to How each would other that happen? um what the baby well <laughs>
0: um um, how, how, did, get how did a good divorce because you told me that that's one of the things you told me when I met you. It's interesting that I, I looked a lot from one relatively long conversation with me and my wife, is, yeah. is you said that you've got a, you've had a good divorce. You've it's it's divorce, a great straight away. But
1: it but it yeah, but it's the thing. I could write a book on it and nobody would buy it. But my agent works, works. my agent is my best mate, said so you'd have to write a book and mm. I saw her a while ago and she said, I just don't believe. I think it's all bullshit. And I said, well, just look at our text conversations. It's five years old, three years old. Look at all of our texts. And she's like, oh, my God. And there are, there are crosswords sometimes. There are things like... Sure, but well, that's a relationship. But it, yeah, but you can't pull someone up on things when you're divorced like you can when you're married. Right. But it goes both ways. Different context. So she will do things that annoy me and make me, make me angry. She doesn't get angry. She... she she would more likely get upset or offended. I get angry, which yeah. I hate, I mm. hate that about myself. Yeah. And I do get to yeah. yeah. And I hate getting angry. It's. I think it is especially unappealing in someone who is big and powerful like I am. It's because scary. you then feel yeah. people are scared of you. And mm. I hate that. Mm. The bloke was really rude to me last week. I don't regret that. I was in the car, my hands were shaking and mm. all I was thinking was I wish I'd chinned him. And I'm really glad I didn't. Never chinned anyone in my life it wasn't playing <laughs> right. but. Mm. but Um, actually one bloke tried to beat me up once I did but otherwise no so I'm not a violent guy at all but I was adrenaline in me whereas my girlfriend for example would have been terrified of the confrontation I was for 10 minutes seething because I hadn't hurt this bloke that's so I hate that anger and I'm very very rarely that angry but I can be a bit snappy so he was directly rude to me and swore at me so it feels a bit different but it's she will do, my ex-wife will do things that anger me. But it will always take me five minutes yeah. or 10 minutes. But I know that she would never do anything to deliberately anger me. And you, And I remind myself every time, I will have done something in the last fortnight or month that has pissed her off. Yeah. But she doesn't feel the need to dig me out on it every time because she knows um. I don't mean it. She knows I'm nice, and lovely, and I know she's lovely. So what it is about is when you first get... It, it make a rule. So my mate said this to me, he said, make a rule that every decision you make or as many as humanly possible, you make, you think about your little girls and you work out from there. So what's best for them and work mm-hmm. out from there. So it's all sorts of stuff. Like I spoke to one lawyer who I didn't use in the end. You need a divorce lawyer. You know, we we needed, we needed to use them. I like, everyone says you don't and I would have, but we did. So, um, I said, well, I want to give her the house. He said, no, 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 She didn't pay a penny towards that house. You bought that house. I said, I know that. There's no reason why, you know, she does. This, this, these are the reasons. And I said, no, no, and she gets the house. The house is fucking amazing. It's my dream house. I moved to Bath in 2003. And in 2003, said to her when we met, that is my dream house. It's next door to where we used to live. Mm-hmm. Bought it and moved out a year later, um, which is ridiculous but true. So it... This is something that there's a million things to say, and we haven't got time. But in the early days, it's particularly raw. I would have sent her texts or emails that were I would never send now. Right. That were inappropriate.
0: It sounds like um, you were quite young when you got divorced. Well, no nah. or, or separated. Thirty nine. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's three, three and a half. Oh, I years was looking No, no.
1: Okay. So I would have sent her emails and texts and said things to her that were I would never say now. Mm. It's raw she will have sent messages to me and done the things that were in a, she, You know, we both will have done the things and said things that were inappropriate. Yeah. So how you deal with that in the early days, ultimately, and if you can, if you make a mistake, if you can recognize you've made a mistake, it's all about, if you blame it all on the other person, mm. you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> and that is, my dad said that to me mm. and he's like, she has done these things. You will have done things. Yeah. If you think it's all the other person's fault, then you are going to get it wrong until the end. It's always a two-way street. It's always two. So I left, she said something to me once, well, you decided to leave, I would have stayed married. And I said, well, hang on, because what that means is I had communicated very clearly that I was unhappy quite a long time ago. We started having these conversations a long time ago, and then the really proper chat started happening a year ago. You know I'm unhappy. Nothing has changed. It's not all your fault. my mm. fault too. What you saying I would have stayed married is the same as saying you were happy for me to remain unhappy. Right. Right. So why didn't you you'd have kept things going as they were? So it's almost like I said an exaggerated example is I walk in every day and I knee you in the leg. And you say, I hate you kneeling me, kneeling me in the leg. And I say, yeah, I know, but you should be grateful I knee you in the leg because I knee you in the leg in a big house and you've got a Mercedes, and you've got a nice life, and you've got nice kids, right. you should be grateful. Yeah, but you're still near me in the leg, and I hate it. Of course, it's never happened. <laughs> so a year later, I'm still nearing her in the leg, and she says, well, I'm leaving because right. I'm unhappy. And I sure. said, yeah, well, I would have stayed married. I would have stayed here because mm. I don't mind nearing you in the leg. It's almost like, no, no, It's this is a, it's a, that's an odd example, but it's um, it, always, always two-way. So every time the other person does something that irks you a bit, just remember, if, as long as you think it isn't deliberate, it's not malicious. It's just never malicious with her. It's never malicious with me. And I probably pull her up on more things than she pulls me up on because she's not confrontational. And I am confrontational. Not that, that I'm aggressive, but sure. I, I, if there's something that bugs me, I can't live with not saying it. Yeah. Not like, um, I can't, you know, it, it's if someone's done something that offends me, I find it very hard to talk about it, but when they're not there, and mm. when I see them not mention it, because I feel duplicitous and it makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. So I'm not saying what the fuck did you say? I just, just quickly mm. on that, you know, my what's happened a few times, and I laugh about it, and I do mean I'm laughing about it now, genuinely. Like I get a text from you know, the kids say to me something. I said, oh, do you want to go paddle boarding next week? Half term? Oh no, we're going on, we're going on holiday. What? Well, go on holiday with mummy? Where are you going? Are oh, we going to Holland for a week. Right, uh, didn't know about that. So I call my ex-wife and say, Holland. She goes, yeah, I told you. No, you didn't tell me. You didn't tell me that. I'm sure I did No, you didn't. All right, sorry. Yeah, is that okay? Yeah, sure. Don't worry about it. But ideally run it past me because it's, you know, I might have had plans. And this time I did have plans. Okay. So then a few weeks ago, I get a text saying, book to take the girls on holiday on these dates in July. Um, hope that's okay. So my first reply was, I'm afraid I'm taking them to France that week. And I didn't send it because it was just a wind-up. I laughed when I got it. (laughs) And I just said, look, and I didn't send it because it would have wound up. And I just said, look, just what you're meant to do is just say, are these dates okay before you book it? Because I'm their daddy and I'm a really good one. And what if I'd had lovely plans for them? Because I do make plans with them. I like doing stuff with them Mm -hmm. and just as she does. But... In the early days, those things are raw, and if you set a precedent of being an asshole mm. every time the other
0: person offends you, it's difficult to come back well, from those. That. What can happen is those little you can call them microaggressions or whatever—they just become even bigger wedges. Yeah, and you just become even more aggressive, and you see it all the time. And the, the thing is, when you're in love with someone and you're married to them, they piss you off all the time. Mm. Like my wife pisses me off, and I piss her off. You know, because that's a relationship. Because it's human. We're human, but because of our overall good circumstances, and we've been together for 26 years, and often really fought, obviously mm-hmm. verbally, you know. Yeah. And we but we But one of the things is like Emily's mum who works with us, yeah. you know, she she's horrified by the way that we argue sometimes. Not because it's vicious, because we just get it out. You know, yeah. we will just go for it. Oh, you said and then five minutes later, jump. yeah, we said it. And then so I tend to be more affected by things and I'll come back and I'll go, oh, I'm so sad about this, can we just talk about it? And he says, yeah, I'm oh, sorry, I didn't say, and then we you know, sort it out and it's never left. It's all done, we're clear, we progress quite often after those horrible conversations. But what we never do, I hope, is we never sit there stewing. You know, Because I think stewing is really bad, but some people say, oh, we never
1: argue. And that might be great for them, but we can't imagine not arguing because we think there must be stuff behind. You're so right. And some people need to get stuff out and some don't. And I'm someone that needs to get stuff out. My um, girlfriend is someone who needs to get stuff out but doesn't like confrontation. Right. And my ex-wife is someone who kept it all, yeah. didn't say the stuff. So, you know, if it came out, it came out, but it had to be prompted by me and actually she would kind of be long-suffering without saying anything. Yeah. And, you know, then you feel like a triple asshole at the end when you realise it's been upsetting her for five years. Whatever, whatever is is, you're leaving the toilet seat up. Not that, but you know the stuff. <laughs> yeah. um, so I, I think it it's always two-way, every single time. And it can be more one or the other, whatever. But I think I really, really care that my ex-wife is okay, and I really care that it, she's you, happy. You carry it with pride,
0: you said it. Like, yeah, but I, I do don't
1: you? I don't hate, well I don't hate people, I, no. t- I do hate. It's a horrible way to live. I do hate, there are some people that are worthy of hate, but I certainly don't hate anyone I know, you know, and I don't hate her in any sense and never have.
0: Hey, it's been over an hour, we should have a break. So, go and get yourself a gin and tonic, or in my case, because I'm teetotal, a tonic, and a little squeeze of lime. You might have a biscuit, you might have a large kebab, although preparing that in a short break might be difficult. Just have a break. You could play some lift music, or some loud music. You could walk around the block, but have a think, digest. We've got another 45 minutes to go, but all of it is amazing entertainment. That might be hyperbole, it might not. Are you having a break yet? It's about
1: it's about, no one is perfect. I do not set a perfect example for my children. Yeah. Neither does she, Neither no, no one does. No. But no matter how it looks on Instagram, that's all balls, you know. Yeah. But it is about, um, it, put the children aside. If I do something aggressive with my ex-wife or something horrible and say, fuck you, whatever. Once that's done and I go to bed and shut my eyes, how do I feel about myself? Mm. Do I actually feel better mm. for chinning that bloke who called me a prick in front of all those children? Mm. Do I actually feel better? My body, my adrenaline mm. is telling me to do it. Mm. And my body said, like, But I know What's there a net gain or a net loss? It's a massive I mean. net loss. Yeah. Every time you yeah. are aggressive to somebody. Yeah. Having said that yesterday, there's a bloke outside my house pe- peering into the window and really, really strange. And I said, Can I help you, mate? And he sort of looked at me and looked away, looking in the window. And I just said, "Do you want to come in for a look around?" He said, "Yeah." And his wife said, "Come on, Harry, come on, come on." And I he said, "Yeah, I do." And I said, "Well, there's no <laughs> invite." I said, "There's no invite, Chief." I said, <laughs> "We live here, mate." And he's literally up against the he's window. He's a rugby fan. He just wants to see I how don't know, I don't know what he was, like this, but, but it was like this is weird, mate. We all look in
0: people's windows and we walk past. Yeah. Like, this is weird, mate. Said, it's about respect. I think all of yeah. it is about respect. Yeah, you know, I've always really, really respected Emma and I realised that you know, for whatever reason, girlfriends I've had in the past, not many, because I'm so young, you know, I, I didn't respect, potentially because they didn't respect themselves, and I've, I keep, I've got this blog or this podcast, whatever me, about self-respect, because I think self-respect is the absolute key to so much in life, as you don't respect yourself, you can't respect other people. It's a bit like the same as if you don't love yourself, you don't love other people, and until you get the self-respect sorted, then you will be a dick to other people, and people will... You know, it's just a sort of self-fulfilling circle of shit, really. And unfortunately, I think that... So so on that, to go off on the self-respect thing, I just think that, you know, I didn't respect myself as a kid and I was quite an unhappy kid. And I gained a lot of self-respect from racing cycling because I suddenly went from being a sort of really weak uh, kid to finding something I was really good at that I felt hard and cool cool because it, it was tough and it was, I was determined and I got muscly and all this kind of stuff. And for whatever reason, that gave me the sort of impetus to gain self-respect. And I went to uni and I was quite a miserable person at uni. It was quite a young person, quite immature. And then one day when I left uni and I went to work in the club in Manchester, I was the manager uh, and I was behind the bar and a lad, a mank lad, uh, who's about 32, so about 10 years older than me, came up to me and said, Nick, I'm just here to give you some good advice. I'm not here to give you shit. It says, everyone fucking hates you. And I hated hearing that. He said, you're just a dick to everyone. You shout at everyone. And you, I think, you think that's the way to manage people. And it's not. And you've got a mutiny on your hands. And I think you're a good... Per- I, honestly, it, it's making me sort of almost choke to think about it because it's one of the best pieces of advice... It was a very direct thing, and most people would never do it. He just said, "I think you're a good person. I think you're being the person you're not. So why don't you go out there and apologise to everyone, including me, and be the good person that you are? Because otherwise, you'll just carry on being like this." And at the time, for ten seconds, I was just like, "Fuck!" I was just so fucking angry with him. How dare you? And then I just suddenly realised I was angry because he was right. He was absolutely, completely right. And I just, I just, went, he could see me just struggling internally. I just went, that's one of the best things anyone's ever said to me. I said, honestly, yeah. like, I feel like I'm bursting in tears. I said, I'm not being the person I want to be. I don't actually know how to manage people. And he said, just be yourself. And you're not being yourself. And I went out and I got everyone together and we sat around the big table. And I said, I've been a dick to you and I've been shouting the orders to you and I've never managed people before and I don't really know what I'm doing. And basically, will you help me be a better manager? And can we work together? And every like a few people looked a bit embarrassed and said the floor. But most people went, wow, that's brilliant. And yeah, it's a good job you said that because we we're getting really pissed off. And I just thought, how did I get into this situation? And sometimes we just get lost because we're a bit crap and we just need good advice. And that's what I'm trying to do with Fram is just give good advice, not because I'm some expert, because I can say, hey, for instance, I've been depressed, I've been suicidal. If you do these things, it could be better. You can look after yourself and go and get medication, go and speak to a doctor, and go and speak to a counsellor. So you just need that intervention. And to complete that story, which is related to your story about your ex-wife, is that I then completely changed as a person. Like, it was a weird switch. And it had a lot to do with a lot of events that happened in Manchester, gangs and stuff, and me sort of, you know, doing things to combat sort of, drug trade, all kinds of ludicrous stories. But I got a lot of self-respect from that. And start, I don't think it's any coincidence that I met my wife shortly after that because she said she met a person who was really positive and easygoing and had a clear direction about what they wanted to do with their life and just knew who they were. And if she met me three months before, she would not have met that person. I was like, just didn't know what the fuck I was. Yeah, it's really interesting.
1: I think Firstly, I think it's okay to know the person you want to be and have days or incidents when you're not. So no one is the person they want to be at all times. Barack Obama will say the wrong thing every now and again. Now and again, yeah. he won't put Michelle first, and he'll work too hard, <laughs> or you know, and he, they won't. He miss date night for the second week in a row. He, he'll do that stuff. So actually, he might not. He's perfect. But <laughs> but, um, but you but it's okay to veer away from that as long as you know where you're coming back to and where you're aiming. I think, um, and also it, it you know it's. I think that. You know, my, my situation is sounds, it's a glowing, I've got a glowing report from my, um, divorce and I got a call from my ex-wife today with the kids, they're on FaceTime and they said, look, we've got the girls, you know, girls, so they live with you. They live with both of us. So we're about, oh. I mean, I, my girlfriend and I have deliberately bought a house 30 seconds from my ex-wife, which is not what most people do. Wow. So we deliberately live close by, um, to their house. great. Um, and Because it just flows in between. So yesterday, my ex-wife was. We live in central Bath. My ex-wife was at the shops with the girls, and she just texted you about. We'll pop in and say hello, see the kitchen, see the baby, and they pop in for half an hour, and it's really nice. And they live up a hill, so I always have to drive them up. They basically stop. You're rarely. That that's really rare, though.
0: Yeah, I am. But yeah. it was such a shame. We, we we've worked towards it. We really worked, worked towards. It. It. So right. she has. It didn't just. Sort of end up that way. You've known that you've had to find this route together. Yeah,
1: and she has forgiven me for things. She has forgiven me for being right. the person who physically left. I have forgiven. These are all inverted commas. You know, I realise it's audio only. I have forgiven her for not making me happy enough, and I re- now realise it wasn't only her job. You know, so it's me as well. I didn't make her happy enough. So right. we both contributed to a marriage that was. It wasn't all indifference. It was of truth love. and
0: reconciliation session.
1: No, we no we. We won't, not because we're shy of it, but because actually we're both got there. Let's not go backwards because we're actually okay. Okay, um, and she can she can come to me with things. She can share things with me, and she she's getting married to a really lovely bloke, so she doesn't mm-hmm. need that. But it's always there. I just think it's okay to we all do it. Know the person you want to be, and be aware that you've been a really shit version of that a few times. Yeah. And not just 10 years ago, it could have been last week. Mm. And, you know, me reacting to that bloke who was really rude to me is that is me in Maidstone in 1997, you know, and I don't like that. And I, yeah. you know, I operate in a world where physical power and dominance is key. Mm. You know, rugby, that's, the, I'm not in you know, I don't play, but I'm in yeah. it still. And I see some of the most physically powerful, you know, I guess, in sporting terms, threatening human beings, being completely gentle and normal. So, you know, if you came and hung out with, came to a barbecue with 10 of my biggest rugby mates, you know, it would be loads of meat and loads of beers. It would also be loads of massive blokes who just happened to be taller and heavier than you are right. but they're all completely normal human beings there is no macho there is no aggression right. there's no headlocks and wedgies right. um, <laughs> those can be fun but it's <laughs> It's cooking nice food and getting the dressing right on yes. the salad and talking about sleep and I, I noticed, it's normal just, Yeah, that's yeah.
0: I've noticed you, you are very very into barbecue
1: building an outdoor kitchen yeah um, the guy's coming tomorrow to finish it off um, we'll have an outdoor kitchen before we've got a kitchen <laughs> which is ridiculous I am into it and I'm an absolute cliche because I'm a rugby playing bloke who likes beers. I don't don't drink that much beer, but I like big chunks of meat and all that. And I've got got some mates coming over on Sunday. um, And Freya, my girlfriend, said, what are you going to cook? I said, well, I've ordered this massive porchetta, a real big boy, which is about three feet long, you know, from the Mm. butchers down in town on Green Street. In Bath, I love that place. And how are you going I, to do it? Well, I'm going to do it on the rotisserie. Okay. Over. Are
0: you going to? Uh, sorry, I'm thinking rosemary. Well, they, well they, they've done it. They already. Pre- oh, well, I've done my own, but
1: they made these amazing ones, oh. and I was like, I just want one of those. They've done it all. I see. yeah. But I said I've got a, um, I've got a massive sirloin joint as well, sirloin on the bone, yeah. just to back up. Wow. And she's like, back up. I was like, yeah, I've got it. it's massive. <laughs> back up meat. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I've got two in case one of them doesn't work. I've got two, so. I'm, you know, I've got work to do before that and stuff to do. I'm going to Scotland and back, London and back, London and back again. Mm. But all I'm thinking about is getting the, getting the coals okay. on it. So the food we all back. need our escapes. Is that your thing then? I just like the food. Right. <laughs> yeah, okay. it is. Do you, do you probably know, you get a, like, a, in a Zen place doing My, that my place? escape is I need my own time, which can be difficult um, with my job, but also with my girlfriend, because, you know, we woke up this morning early because we've got a baby and, she woke up at six, which was great, but we woke up at five because she sometimes wakes up at five. So <laughs> we're awake. And I get up and about seven o'clock we're kind of coming together and and I'm I say I'm off. She goes, right, go to the gym now, then come and do this with you, then come back. I'll be at home for I'll probably be at home for 20 minutes and then I'm out again to go and meet someone for lunch I haven't seen for ages, been in the diary for ages. Then I'm back, then I'm picking the kids up from school, and then I've got a mate coming over for dinner tonight to see the girls and everyone. And tomorrow she's off here and I'm off there. So, Are you a very sociable person? Uh, I do a lot Sounds of it. I do a lot of it, but I'm not actually. Um, my favourite day is a day with nothing in it. That's my favourite day with nothing yeah. to do. Um, but my escape would be, I like the idea of barbecue cooking outside, which is a real passion of mine, being an escape. But it always needs to be meticulously planned because I never have any bloody time to sit out yeah. there all day yeah. and do it. And since well thank you very much for your time here no no pleasure no but I like doing stuff I like to be busy but it my escape is going to the gym actually that's my time and Freya never ever ever says don't go even if baby's because she knows that's a bounty yeah Yeah. Yeah. and it ain't about being world's strongest man or anything like that it's not about that it's about um, probably silence because I talk a lot Um, probably and I'm always communicating and absorbing media and that sort of Mm -hmm. stuff it's a bit of silence. It's just me. And it's also probably something to do with self-esteem because although I'm not bothered yeah. particularly about the way I look, I've always been big and strong. Mm. And I don't like the idea of not being big and strong, mm. actually. I make the joke that I can't lose any weight because my clothes won't fit, so I've got to stay big and strong. But I've actually this morning been there lifting quite heavy weights. It's all relative, but quite heavy stuff. And I realised that I like that. Yeah, And I like the fact I can do You it. end up doing what you did for a reason. And that's part of it. So it's Yeah, and people go running because they like the way it makes them feel. I lift weights because I like the way it makes me feel. And she knows it's important to me. I I, Maybe it's some sort of... Alistair Campbell talks about the best thinking he ever does. The best thing he ever does for his mind is go for a run. I'm not sure that's me when I go to the gym, but I need it for some reason. You're a big guy to run, though. There's a lot bouncing up and down. Oh, I'm doing
0: that. I ain't doing that. that. I did a half
1: marathon once. I won't do that again. Took about six weeks to do that. I
0: um, I mean, my thing is cycling. I mean, the thing I really want to do but never have time to do, and this is the thing that annoys me because it's a choice not to have time because I'm running a small business and that means that you never have time and la la la. So yeah, I'm not sort of going, oh, poor me. At the end of the day, I, I'm middle class, so I can choose to not do those things and burn yeah. less. And, yeah. You know, basically what I do is I go and live in a forest. You know, it's, it's what I want to do is spend time walking through sun-dappled forests or rainy forests. I love the rain. And I just... Same, go, yeah. And I... I'm weird in that, um, and I've learned this about myself, is that I'm a very extrovert person, uh, like now, I suppose, and, or, or just a- outward, and then I'm a very, very, very introverted person. I don't want any input from anyone. I don't want to see a soul. The problem is that I can spend a long period like that. And what I've learned about myself is I'm kind of overanalyzing the ADHD diagnosis. at the moment. But one of the problems is it feels like my head is a motorway all the time. Yeah. And I think a lot of us feel this way because yeah. of social media and work yeah. and family. Thought about, this about it this morning. Yeah. And it just think, fucking hell, I'm juggling way too many things. And I really, really need the time to just get the theta waves or whatever they call theta waves just, just sort of flat. Because otherwise, I just get really fucked up. And that's when I start to get unhappy. And then what happens is I get some bad news like Ukraine or just some shit happening at work. And I start to feel a bit wobbly. Because I'm hyper aware of that now. I've learned to be very aware of my feelings as I sort of go, whoops. And the thing that always cures it, absolutely without fail, is cycling, for me. Yeah. Like when I was really, really bad, like actually suicidal, Emily didn't know, but I was very clearly very depressed and she did know that. Is Emily said, get your cycling kit on. And she would stand over me and watch me get a cycling kit on, which is not pleasant, because no man put a cycling kit on. Just no, sexy no, it's to, to look that. at. And then, and then she'd get me on the bike. She'd literally go, get on the fucking bike and go for a ride. And as soon as I was riding, I could not feel unhappy. Now, that might not work for other people, but for me, it's such an important thing. And I found Again. in my life, at the age of 12 or whatever, this thing that I just connects. And I think it's incredibly important to do that. I had an amazing GP. I have an amazing GP. And he said to me when he helped me through and was not just giving me drugs, but giving me good advice. He just said, go and do the simple things you care about. And like, really think about what those things are because it's probably not telly and it's probably not social media. And I I thought it's the countryside and it's cuddling my kids and it's riding my bike and it's cooking food. Those Those are the things that give me joy. And I try and find little bits of joy. You won't always get them. And often there'll be days you won't have joy. And those would be harder days. This joy is a, like a really big deal. But I- I'm obsessed with the thing that we can't always be happy. Is that we're always chasing happiness will fail. But we can chase the sort of middle ground, which is contentment. And I think contentment is an amazing thing. It's where you just think, you know, I know who I am and my life is pretty good. It's not always great. And sometimes it's really great, but this, is, this feels like a good place to be. Good, not great, just good. And a lot of my life have not been like that, like that. And a lot of my life have been above that. Meeting my wife, having loads of sex and going yeah. on amazing holidays. that's sort all of amazing stuff. But that isn't most of life. Some of life can be really, really shit. But I think that that's kind of my message with Fran really is that sort of in-betweeny state where if you can just take off, clip off the really horrible stuff and not try and constantly reach for the really amazing stuff, then actually if you can be happy that way then that's a pretty good state to be.
1: I also think if you if you can take time to think about the things that make you happy when they're happening, um, mm. think about how you feel when you do certain things. If you have a, just a little an ounce more presence of thought when you're doing things, so I look at my phone too much. My kids look at their gadgets too much. Yeah, I do, and, and I'm more guilty than they are. But I tell them off for it and deny it myself some hypocrite. <laughs> um, and I always say it's work. It's work. Instagram's not work, Daddy. So I the way, it is. Yeah, um, but. Uh, you know, I say to my girls the other night, I said, put your phone down. Why? Why? I, was like, I said, just put it down. Why? I said, because I just want you to sit on my knee. I just want you to sit on my knee and do nothing for five minutes because, you know, she's 12. She's very, doesn't look 12. Do You know, you know what I mean? She looks 38. And um, so, and I said, she was just sitting in her pants and her little crop top but trying on some new clothes we'd got her from wherever because um, she's growing about a foot a week. And I just said, just sit on my knee. She was on my knee anyway, just chilling out about something and playing with the baby was in my other arm sort of thing. And and I said, really soon, babe, you're not going to sit on daddy's knee anymore. Oh, of course I will. I said, no, when's the last time you saw mummy sit on her dad's knee? I don't sit on my dad's knee because I'm six stone heavier than my dad. But <laughs> I was like, and it would be weird. And I'll crush my mum. I said, these are the best bits, mate. And I said, you've got a mummy and a daddy and a stepdaddy and a step Mummy, and they all love you. And I said, just... And what happens is we have to show you love in different ways when you get older. What we can't do, you can do it, what you can't do is just grab you when you're in your pajamas or your pants and just give you a 10 minute cuddle even though I'm only wearing my pants. Because when you're when you're older, it becomes inappropriate. Yeah. For now, it's not. So sit on my knee, shut up and put your phone down. And she just nuzzled into my neck and playing with the baby. And I was sitting there thinking, if I'd won Euro millions, if I'd won 122 million quid last night, this is what I would be doing. This is exactly where I'd be. It might be in a different building. This is exactly what I'd be doing. So that makes me happy. Um, So I beat myself up when I get stuff wrong, Mm. but I do know what brings me back. And I think a lot of people don't know what brings them back. They think what, they might think, what might bring them back is introducing a thing. It might be, let's get a new car, let's book a massive holiday, let's buy something, or let's have an event, let's make an event, let's do this. Actually, it can just be, this is it. What well, something I'm very conscious
0: of, I think that's a really good way to sort of start polishing off, but I think something I'm very conscious of, I'm, I feel often feel guilty and I think, oh, shit, because we're, we're from, because I've, I'm open about mental health and because we're open about mental health, I'm trying to make it less about me and more about lots of other people. But we do get contacted by men who are in really, really fucking terrifying situations uh, mentally or like really bad ways. Like a man mm. who can't access his kids, whether that's right or wrong, I have no idea because I'm you not know, part of that situation but he's really, really upset about that. I Can I just imagine how awful that would be to not see my right. kids? That's yeah, terrifying. That absolutely is. fucking terrifying. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons me and Emily got married is we've been together for 11 years and I just said, because we're very matter of fact, I think it's one of the reasons we stay together is because we've always addressed things as soon as we can. I just said, I'm... In fact, Emily said it before me, she said, you know what? You've got no rights if we ever had kids and we were not married. And I said, yeah, I think you're right. I, I just, and, and and so we just, we didn't say, oh, let's get married in a really unromantic way. We just both walked, walked away and went, do you have any time on a Tuesday? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but, we, but when, when I asked her, which was in a lovely romantic way, when afterwards when we were talking in the car home away from the hotel or whatever, I just said i remember that conversation about kids we haven't got kids yet and we don't yet want kids maybe we won't have kids and of course we did but it fucking terrified me the thought of not being able to access my kids and i know there are dads who don't so anyway that's an example there are some men who have really serious addictions and men i'm talking about men at the moment from a men's brand but it will be women's brand soon as well which i'm really looking forward to but people have really terrible things that happen to them and when i was suicidal in 2017 it felt like It doesn't matter. You can't grade that sort of horror of how you feel. It could be for really just purely chemical reasons. Your overall life could be actually quite good, but you just don't realise it. Or it could be generally really horrible. But there's always, always hope. And there's always a way that you can get better. But you have, and this is my absolute message, it's a message with calm as well, is you've got to talk. You've got to start the boil rolling. And I almost make it mechanical thing is I know what it feels to be at your absolute rock bottom when you can't do anything you don't feel like you can go for a piss or get up in the morning but if you can just find a way to start opening your mouth you'll find the reaction is better than you thought it was because often you just don't think it's possible and then you go okay that feels a little bit better and then they get to the point they get to a GP and then you do take the drugs, you're scared of taking drugs, but they will generally make you better. And then suddenly, and then suddenly you're progressing. And suddenly we hear all the time, like Desert Island Discs and in magazines about famous people who are absolute rock bottom, like heroin addicts or something, and because they took step by step by step, yeah. they got to a point where they're in a good place now. But it took time. And all I'm trying to do and hoping to do is just just give little sort of nibbles that the thought of hang about, maybe I should, maybe I do feel really shit. Maybe you're I know right. I feel really shit. And I don't want to talk to my someone, I just want to talk and just take that step because that's what saves people. And that's why Calm is so obsessed by getting this message across of talking, because that is how you get on the route to recovery. And if you don't, that's how
1: really bad things are. Oh shit. And I you know, I've never been addicted to drugs and my isn't my divorce wonderful and that sort of stuff. But life ain't perfect and it's and in the you know, immediately after my wife, ex-wife and I had separated, um, and before I was in a, a new relationship, which is just wonderful. And I'm, you know, on a pretty much a daily basis, I am fucking thrilled that I met Freya when I did and got to know her because she's just an, an unbelievable human being, an absolute unbelievable human being. Um, and I'm thrilled we've got a baby and she wants 12 more. And I'm, I'm saying no, but I really mean yes. I need to get a van it's sort my car for a van and all that stuff. But I, I remember being unbelievably low, like broken. And just thinking to myself, I, I'm in danger here. So I lost a lot of weight, which a lot of people would say great. Um, I lost four stones long in six months. And I was in a very bad place. I couldn't eat. I was really, really struggling we don't have a custody agreement we just go with the flow whatever works and saw my kids pretty much every day and still do most days and it's great and all that and I'll be acting happy in front of the kids you know I love I love being with them I love mm. them but I was incredibly unhappy and worried that I was never going to be happy again and um, I remember just a mate of mine came round just popped over and he said alright and it's, you know lots of mates are getting in touch and offering help and my mate just said you know I've got, I've got a lot of great mates, but I've got a couple who are my closest, really, and have been for a long time. And Just said, all right, what are you doing? Yeah, I'm just outside. So he knocked on the door and came in for a coffee. He was only there for half an hour. Mm. He walked in, never seen my flat before, burst into hysterics. He said, what a fucking shit, Have <laughs> you got any coffee? <laughs> yeah, and it was like, uh, bought your sandwich. And he was there for half an hour and he left. Mm. He said, how you doing, mate? Yeah, weight's still coming off you? Yeah? He said, mind you, you're you're all right, mate. You could lose a couple more. And, you know, Bit of fun, bit of stuff. And I am just hanging with my mate. Mm-hmm. And he checked I was okay. And then another mate came around about a week later. I'm in Bath. He doesn't live in Bath. I'm in Bath. Fancy a coffee? Yeah, yeah, come on over. I didn't want to. Did you want to meet in town? I said, I don't really. No, I wasn't going out. All that, you know, let's get dating again. And no, 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 not for me at all. None of that. I didn't do any socializing at all. Mm-hmm. I stayed on my own really. And except when I was working and um, with the kids, and he just popped around for an hour and just hung with my mate. And then I realized that the thing that was going to get me out of where I was was, being in the same room as my friends, family, yes, of course that's a given for me. I'm lucky to have a great family, but they live quite a long way away. It's yes. not as easy for them. I, I need to be with my friends because I'm very lucky to have some amazing mates, and it, they, without knowing it, they literally healed me and got me to a place where I could meet this girl for a coffee and see what happened. And now we're getting married and wow. having babies, and we were blissfully happy. I mean. I'm not joking. In about 15 minutes, it was just like bang, holy shit! And I would never have got there if I hadn't sat and thought about what it was that made me feel good. Because people don't. They go from when you're really low, everything's a fucking disaster. Everything's awful. And you know, shit. I haven't brushed. I'm, I'm getting. I'm getting to bed and I've forgotten to brush my teeth. It's a fucking disaster Mm. because you can't go. You you know, I found I stopped. This is random stuff. I stopped brushing my teeth. I stopped. I was washing my clothes, but I didn't give a shit. I stopped trying to look smart or, you know, I'm in shitty gym gears now that the listeners can't <laughs> see, but I stopped all these little things. Um, I stopped taking care of myself. I stopped exercising. And I had all a mate. classic signs? Classic signs. I, yeah. I had a mate, a, a different mate, that said, to me, We went through a horrific divorce, the most horrific I've ever heard of. And he's, we, we worked together and he got me aside at work after a thing we did to go, So I want to chat with you. Um, Let's meet. When are you free? We arranged it like two weeks' time. He said, two weeks we're going to meet here and he said by then you need to have been to the gym five times right go five times i'll tell you why and he said do not let it slip because once it's gone you need to do things you need to keep yourself fit and well so it was
0: little it was my mates was anyone being overt and saying you're in a bad way you need to do things to look after your mental health or was it more just was it softer because it sounds like it was very much mates just saying oh let's just check on fast because it looks a bit I think, rough i think oh. i had
1: no it was more no the latter really let's just make sure we stay in contact with him and keep him involved mm-hmm. was, they did the, they went the practical route instead of saying you need help yeah. they just helped and um but i you know i think there were a few a couple of friends female friends who just put it all down to well middle-aged man it's just got divorced. This is going to be. Easy. This is when you're statistically at least happy. That's why you're getting divorced. Midlife oh, crisis, okay. mate. Yeah. And it was like, no, no, no. I'm actually unhappy. And it took quite a long time for one or two of those friends to accept that I had been as unhappy as I said I was. Mm. I don't blame my ex-wife for it. She's great. It, it, I. That was the right relationship when we got married, and it ended yeah. up a relationship where we didn't make each other make the best and decisions and at the time. The it, information you have. So. So but it got a couple of people wrote it off and said, our oh, typical midlife crisis. You'll regret that." he will regret that in a big way. And it was like, no, no, no. I've had the no. midlife crisis. That's thing. not true. It sort of yeah. pissed me off actually. I've got a motorbike as well. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, don't. I've
0: got a motorbike. You got a motorbike? I won't let myself have a motorbike. Well, it's good. good. The like thing myself. I love about cycling is going downhill. I, I like going down, downhill fast. And to my surprise, because I'm crap at coordination sports, I'm quite good at it. And um, and I think motorbikes an extension. I just love cornering and I love going that fast. And the obvious thing is get a motorbike, but I'm just too scared of it. Not scared of being on it, I'm scared of killing myself because I'm a dick. Because yeah. I'm a, not a dick, I'm very, again, ADHD, quite often people are seen as being impulsive and you can be very impulsive, and I'm not an impulsive ADHD. I'm actually very, very disciplined and I'm very able to control myself. And, uh, but there's one thing that I've got myself to trouble with is descending mountains. I, I would descend like a fucking lunatic. And it's because I just love the adrenaline. You know, it's the only thing I'm like, I've, actually, I quite like it. Sounds like a hell trip. to me, that. Yeah, Ugh. but <laughs> but you'd go really, really fast. You've well, got loads of
1: momentum. I, so, got, yeah. I got a really, really quick bike a couple of years ago. Really quick. And I picked it up from the factory, the Triumph factory in Coventry. And it was an amazing day. And I rode it back through the Cotswolds. And I never rode it again. Never oh. rode it again. I because just went into town true. once okay. when my car had a puncture. Right. And I never rode it again. And I rang them up and said, I love the bike. But can you take it away, please? And we'll deal with the admin later because it, I don't want to go quickly. And now I've got I've got an unbelievable motorbike. <laughs> I've <laughs> what got. Have you got? I've got a Triumph Rocket Three, which is yeah. fucking massive. It's so big. I don't know what that's like. So it's got a two thousand five hundred cc engine. <laughs> Jesus Christ, the you biggest, you can get biggest, pro- big. biggest, production engine in the world. So I sound like you a. Can not get, get cars that big anymore? Oh, correct. It's got a two and a half liter engine. It's absolutely mega. I'm taking it out in a minute. I'm going to make it for lunch. I'm taking it out in a minute. Where are you going for lunch? Uh, Bruton. Okay. Oh, that's uh, Forty nice. minutes. That's nice little nice, ride. That's nice yeah. Trip, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, doing that, which I love, but I go slower. I've timed certain journeys. I go slower on that bike because it's big old throbb.er right. But if you're doing ni- if you're doing ninety on that bike, it feels like your helmet's going to come off your head. If it's not strapped on, it will come off. It lifts it up. What, what? And
0: what's the two and a half
1: liter four torque? And that's so. It's just... You're going to pull a caravan with that. You, you, you cruise along and, you know, it's a frigging quick bike, but you don't have to drive it that quick. It's, it's a bit like, you know, if you've got a Range Rover with a five litre V8 in it, mm-hmm. that's a big, powerful engine. It's lovely for overtaking. It means when you're doing cruising speeds, it's at no revs. It's, it's very smooth. It's never stressed. If you have a Ferrari with the same amount of power, yeah. it's lighter, it's high revving, it's on the edge. That's the comparison. My bike is like a Range Rover with a big V8 in it. And it's just, and it's not really loud like a Harley. It's ace, but I do, I find that my average speed on that bike is slower than it is in my car. And you're looking around and enjoying the view. I love it. I absolutely love it. And I wear the right kit and all that stuff. And I'm careful. Um, They are unarguably
0: dangerous things. Mm. So I don't ride it. And I I think I wouldn't actually, these days with kids, because kids do change you. They Everyone do, yeah. says it, and it's true. Um, I, I can remember the moment I realised that I was still acting like a dick and I, I was going to cause my wife to be a widow if I didn't carry on, and I stopped. Especially because other people on bikes said, yeah, you're going to you're, you're fucking end up smashing you. Tomorrow. Yeah. So, but anyways, I don't think I would do that now, but I just worry about other road users. Just because I know for a fact that at low speeds of, of road cycling that... Drivers just don't see you. Yep. And so I get worried about drivers not seeing a motorbike. Um, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm
1: much bigger on a motorbike because it's a bigger thing. But I, the key is, I was taught by a brilliant instructor up in Nuneaton, actually, and he said to me, ride your bike as if no one else can see you, as if you are invisible. If right. you ride as an invisible man, yeah. you'll be fine, and I'm touching wood now, that I'm literally touching it, I'm literally touching it, <laughs> and, smashing the micros. Yeah, please. this isn't over I don't know, <laughs> but I, I ride as much as I can. If there's an open road and it's a lovely a road and it's a sunny day, I'll pull it back a bit, and it's and it's I, lovely. But I don't, I just don't do high speeds.
0: I'm doing a shoot in Scotland next week, and um and if I had a bike like yours, I think I'd ride up to yeah. Scotland because I, it's actually giving me um, the feels. Because uh, I'd love to do something like that. I wouldn't. I can't. I live in a small house. I, I can barely park my car, let alone put, a, well, I can I barely put my bike in the house. Let alone. I'll, I'll tell you a first world problem. I live
1: in this nice you know, house up the road, but it doesn't come with parking. So I've rented a garage around the corner, um, you know, on Cavendish Road, you know the one. I've rented, rented a double garage there and it's pucko, pucker. It's really good. A load of room for my bikes and that sort it's of thing. It's quite weird, because I knew that because you put it on social media. I have, And I've lost the garage. The bloke's coming <laughs> home. The, the bloke wants okay. his garage back. So I'm now struggling for a garage in Central Bath. This is an advert. We're not talking about jackets. We're talking about garage okay. rentals. Okay, I'll put that on there. Um, I did say to a, a contact, a, a bloke I know. I said, if you know of anyone, I'll, bottom ha- I'll rent one or buy one if the price is right. And he said, I've found one and it's 140 grand. And I've got apart from a motorbike, I've got an old BMW which sounds really flash. It's worth about less than that microphone. It's just an old three series, but I love it. It's a knackered old thing. It's No, it's not. It's not that old. It's like 2004. Oh, it? okay. It's an E46, but I, I love it and I love cars and it. It's cheap and cool convertible for me and the kids and Faye loves it and it's just a bit of fun, but you can't fit a BMW 3 Series in this garage and it's 140 grand, and it hasn't got a light. <laughs> it's like, Jesus, I'm not buying one. Right. I on to rent one for £12 a month, anyway. Yeah. Um, so I'm going out on the bike lo- this lunchtime and I'm I'm looking forward to it, but not so I can thrash
0: it, so I can chill and have a nice time. Last thing, the, I, that whole thing with social media I find fascinating is that I know... More having met you, i and having looked at your social media. I know quite a bit about your private life, not the really private bit, obviously, but yeah. I know about what you get up to through social yeah. media. And I sort of do the same. I'm very very well, open. some of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Obviously, it's all sort of. I'm not someone. Who, I'm not someone who tells everyone everywhere I am. I've had a poo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Here I am. I, I do lots of stuff that I don't tell everyone about. But yeah, yeah. yeah. but but I. I sometimes wonder, I've decided that I'm the sort of person who just likes sharing things. I'd rather just put my life out there. I actually feel weirdly more comfortable doing it. And my wife doesn't, and so I don't share her life, uh, even though it's all pretty standard stuff. But I think that um, people say, oh, it's amazing, your honesty. And it's just like, that's the way I'm wired. I'd rather say the thing than not say the thing, whether it's boring or not. But, But with social media, we're encouraged to do that, to constantly feed the beast. And I sometimes wonder whether it's quite hard because you're not famous. You're well known, but to a lot of people, you are famous because in your their world, in the rugby world, you're a big deal. Um, do you find that you worry that people know too much about you, or that you don't have that screen where you can escape from the outside world? Or I mean, I live, but matter?
1: nah, I'm all right with that. And and um, there's lots of stuff I don't share, so you won't see pictures of. You won't see. It's stuff like. There are bits of my private life, like my kids. girlfriend kids. My kids yeah. are on my Insta- social media every now and again. I don't make a point of keeping them off, but I don't put them on it much. Right. My girlfriend isn't, she's got an account, but it's private, doesn't post on it. So she's, you won't see her popping up everywhere because she's not that keen. And also, as you know, my ex wife and I had a chat, and it's like, not, we both know if she put a picture up on Facebook of her and her new. Husband to be and all the kids, and him hugging, hugging my kids. Mm. She knows it, it, I wouldn't take it as hostile. Yeah. But it's basically like if I scroll through and see that, it's not as nice as me seeing someone barbecuing a Labrador or a chicken, right? <laughs> <laughs> so she's like, I just don't put it up because it, well, I don't need to. I don't need right. to. So I don't need to put pictures of that stuff up in order to tell people I've got a pretty girlfriend, which I have. Mm. And babies and stuff for fun and all that. Mm. I don't need to show people those things. So I did say to Freya, my girlfriend, about a year ago, I never post anything with you because it's almost like I just want some things that not everyone knows. Yeah. Are you worried about that? And she's like, I couldn't give a shit. I do not need to be on Instagram or Twitter. Don't right. care. Yeah. So, and I mean, mean she, she's, she's just saying no interest. Don't, just, don't, yeah. just don't, she doesn't need me to tell everyone. I don't need me to tell everyone. So a lot of my life is there if you want to go and look for it. But lots of it isn't, you know. Um. How do you deal with trolls? Don't like it. Don't like it. I bite too. I don't bite that often. But I, I quite often reply in a measured tone and say, listen, mate, you know, whatever. But, you know, I I get very few. And every now and again, you get one who goes out of, a, out of his way. It's always a man. Always a man. Out awesome. of his, out is of his awesome, way man. to do that
0: and be really, really unkind. And that I don't like. I think I... I, I... You know, I thought a lot about social media. I got trolled really badly in 2017 when Volpine went bust. I got trolled recently, actually, when I was crowdfunding, and I found it very stressful, and I think that's because I was quite anxious about Ukraine and just the general thing about raising investment because that's hard, really fucking hard work and all that stuff. But um, what I used to do, because I was on Twitter since it launched in, what, 20, yeah. 2007, 2008, mm-hmm. is, and I've always been really into social media. I find it fascinating, is that I used to really, really engage with everyone. I wanted to try and win everyone over. Yeah. I'd I try yeah. never to be shouty and nas- nasty and call anyone a company, even though I wanted to. I, just, I would just try and win them over. And sometimes I would get enormous pleasure out, out of this. And Lou said, why are you spending so much of your life and giving so much of yourself to people who don't care about you? And I thought it was a really good point. And then eventually when I had my breakdown, I went completely <laughs> off social media because I just realised it was just not very good for me. Particularly not when people are saying nasty things. I re- I look back and actually not many people were saying not many nasty things. But to me at the time, yeah, I was ill because it made the loudest voices. Yeah, yeah, and it made a very big difference to me. Is you know I I just decided that I should pity the trolls, and I wrote a blog about it. Actually, is, um, is just I realised that the one the one guy who was trolling me really badly I found out was a guy who was dying in hospital, of alcoholism. He basically his liver was fucked, and I just thought, oh my god. This guy is so unhappy, he's decided to say all this stuff, these lies about me, say these awful things, but it's because he's just incredibly unhappy. And I just felt real pity. I felt really sorry for him. And I just thought that's a better place to be in the anger and hate that potentially I could feel. And now when I see trolls, I just think, what a shame. And now I know a lot more about mental health and now I've now trained as a uh, mental health first aider. I just think I just want to try and what I want to try and do, and I have done on occasion, is reach out and say, look, I think you may be unhappy. But it's very hard to do that on a Facebook comment and just go, mate, I think you're trolling because you're unhappy, are you okay? And generally, people just tell you fuck off. Uh, but maybe it sort of makes people, somebody think about something. But you know what I've done? Because I've realised that I can't solve everyone's problems. And it actually, people have to take personal responsibilities. So I just block them. I just block liberally now. It's never used to block. Now I just go... I'm not blocking you as an angry thing I've just decided that I don't want your voice in my life because you don't deserve it because you're being rude so you're just going
1: yeah
0: and then I I forget about it yeah and it's better
1: and it it, I'm exactly the same as you and I and it changes my mood when people do it and I hate it and I hate the way it affects my mood Um, but I know we're we're finishing off now but yeah a really good thing to listen to is it's a bit random this Desert Island Discs with Nigella Lawson really right I love her anyway yeah I I love Desert Island well, uh, but her one is brilliant she said something on the lines of I'll butcher this now she said something on the lines of I'll poach this now she said something on the lines of um, to seek the love and admiration of our friends and family is the way to go that is right is, is, is worthwhile yep. to seek the love and admiration of people we don't know and will never meet is a version of madness Yes, we don't need everyone to love us we don't and it's easy to say you can't be everyone's best friend but if you actually live it while trying to be kind and lovely and you accept that some people might just be horrible to you and you can block them and make them go away you'll be far happier so I do far less pandering to people who are nasty now I don't get much of it now and again I'll reply and try and pull people around a bit because I think they're going the wrong way or whatever it is but as a rule to
0: there we go um, thank you very much Mr and Price. if they saw
1: me they wouldn't say it because I'm macho <laughs>
0: <laughs> the worry is if they did say it then oh god yeah anyway, yeah. anyway. Um, thank you very much for your time we could, we could talk for ages but I'm aware that you've got um, kids to see and, um, and a yeah. bike, bike ride to Britain which sounds amazing yeah um, but I really appreciate your time and thanks for being so honest as ever you're, yes. a, you're a nice man no oh, bloody and nice man. Man. I keep telling people that <laughs> <laughs> yeah and you tell yourself um, and uh, no but that's good and uh, you are tough you're also beautiful oh thanks <laughs> jacket by the way cheers mate mm-hmm. there you go two grown up men finding it difficult to give each other compliments how British wonderful um, I hope you enjoyed that don't forget that if you would like to find out more about Fram, you can go to framjacket.com. We make very, 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 very good jackets. I'm very, very biased. Uh, if you need to help with your mental health, you can go to Fram Jacket or you can go to Calm Zone or Samaritans or Mind or your doctor or friends or family or a stranger or a counselor. It doesn't matter. Just start talking, please, for fucking fuck's sake. Please do that. Seriously, because it helps a lot um and you can also follow us at from jacket on instagram loads of other shit just google it you'll find it um so seriously life is tough for all of us sometimes much tougher than other people uh there's no judgment doesn't matter how tough you're finding it if you're finding it tough you need a bit of help whether you're just feeling a bit sad or much much worse please fucking talk and it is my obsession to get people to do that take a calms obsession to get people to do that i'm very very passionate about it but it's been a long old podcast but all of it as i say has been a wondrous escapade in humanity as is flats he's a wondrous escapade in humanity uh what a good man he is and um yeah all right take care ta-ta